sorry. <laughs> I literally, when you said I'll start, I literally thought you meant you had like something to say. Yeah. Um, Normally I say start- I finish and then blast all of your tits. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of which. Like the end of is- there won't be blood. I'm finished. It's like, yeah, I'm covered in your jizz, dude. I know. <laughs> And she's got the same face as the butler from the end of like, cause he's kind of just going through the motions. He's mm-hmm. beat down. He's beat down by life. And mm-hmm. that guy's clearly on shit too. The mm-hmm. butler who's just taking care of it. That guy oh, is yeah. like, obviously he's on opium or whatever the fuck in the early 1900s. Um, speaking of sex, I apologize. No I, ever. I, I <laughs> <laughs> promise. Not every episode is going to start with a sex-related story. They have for the first few. We will we will pivot and find greater stories with, I don't know, greater meaning behind them. Mm-hmm. But right now, we're going to start this off. I got to tell a story about me having sex with an ex-girlfriend. So I was dating in my early 20s a Russian girl. And it matters that she's Russian because this is going to come up later in the story. And when we... So we're probably like three months into the relationship. You know, we're like, hey, we're boyfriend, girlfriend now, you know? How old are you? I said like early 20s. Early 20s? Okay. uh, Yeah, yeah. Early 20s. And we're so we're like, okay, we we are boyfriend, girlfriend. And the sex was really good. And it came, we were both in school still at uh, college. And it was Christmas break. She said, oh, so I was going to school in a, town called london ontario it's like two hours from toronto mm-hmm. and she lived in toronto with her well, her family lived in toronto but they're from russia like she moved here when she was 15 or whatever and she's like hey would you want to come down my parents are gone and you could stay at my place for a few days and then um i've told my parents they want to meet you and then i'll like get you out and then i'll pretend to pick you up and bring you back to the house like it's the first time you've been to this house or whatever yeah, yeah, right yeah. and then because because if my parents found out that you were here for three days with me heated. before they showed up and before they've ever met you like it's not gonna go over well okay so that's super fair obviously I'm yes. like, yeah i'm fucking down i'm doing nothing over the holidays i'm broke as shit student go down there i don't know let's call it like a thursday or whatever but her brother's there so she's let's say 23 and her brother is 17. So there's like a pretty big gap, Mm -hmm. even though it goes, Oh, you know, from when we're this age, it doesn't sound like a huge gap, but when you're that age, six years is fucking five, six years is astronomical. Six years from like 17 to 23 is a huge difference between six years from like 32 to 38. Yeah. Yeah, 46 to 50, 52, you know? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we get we get fucking drunk as we always do. We get drunk, like really drunk. And she lived in a three bedroom townhouse. So it was her room, her brother's room, and then her parents had the master bedroom upstairs. And then the downstairs is just like a living room. And then they had a done finished basement. Not a nice place, not a bad place, just like not a super small place, but also not big. Okay. And we get fucking drunk. And this is early in the relationship. And I'll push the envelope with people I'm dating like this. We're just doing dirty sexual things. And I love dirty talk. And we're getting into it. And I'm like, and I'm 
fucking and I'm fucking her in the ass. I'm like, you know, where am I fucking you? Where am I fucking you? And she's like, oh, you're making her tell you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm making her tell me. She's like, you're fucking my ass. And it feels so fucking good. Like all of this. And we're really like, and we're going back and forth with talking mad shit to each other and having really dirty, like put it in her ass, then her pussy, then out of her ass and into her mouth and all the, all the, all. Anyways. Tell me about your hey, yeast infections. Tell me all about the milkshake. <laughs> I'm about to yeah. fucking make you drink. Yeah. Right. Let's and make, like, uh, let's yeah. make vodka out of the yeast, out of your pussy and some potatoes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this, my, you're going to love my cum. It's so thick. It's like a potato. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's so starchy. It's, it's the starchiest cum. Mm. And, um, so it's seize the dirty. means of production on your ass. <laughs> <laughs> you know you know back you know back home how you love coca-cola well you're gonna you're gonna drink up my cum just like because the russians when the, when coca-cola first came to russia sure, yeah lost their shit and yeah. she was telling me because she remembered it when like mcdonald's in russia first i mean mcdonald's and coca-cola first came to russia it was it changed civilization yeah blue jeans too um, like levi's and shit also like huge yeah yeah all that all that huge. shit I mean, obviously not just those two things but those two like really stood out to her yeah. i so saw a documentary this- about billy joel performing in russia like after the fall of the soviet <laughs> this is the most long island thing ever um and yeah he talked about all that saint billy of, of long island <laughs> Such an unnecessary aside. That reminds me of Billy Joel in Russia. Literally everything reminds me of yeah. Billy Joel. Just yeah. it's in my blood, you know. Um, so we anyways, so I was painting the picture and I had to do it vividly because you get why this had to happen. So the next day we wake up, you know, we were pretty not pretty drunk, we're fucking drunk, but wake up not even too late and She's like, oh, do you want some French toast? She's making a full breakfast because Mm. we're not used to having, we're students at the time. We're not used to having a full house to ourselves. Mm -hmm. It feels so good to play. We're playing basically house. Yeah. House. Yeah. And so she makes it and then she tells her brother, Pavel, who they say Pashka. Pashka. um, She's like, hey, Pavel, Pavel, um, I'm making breakfast come on like knocks on his door come on down or whatever so i'm sitting there and i think she was doing the whole um while she's getting the french toast together she has the bacon done and i'm kind of like nibbling on a little bacon while i'm mm-hmm. waiting or whatever and i'm sitting watching her and it's so nice i have sex with my girlfriend dirty sex whatever and then the next day I wake up and she's making this fucking french toast and bacon this is wonderful yeah and Oh, I forgot, but I thought if it, if it was not clear, I have not met her family before this. Because I said her parents I haven't met. I haven't met her brother. Her brother I had just met the day before. Like, okay. hello, how are you? And he's had a very, like, Russian demeanor. Yeah. Even though his, his he didn't have a, that much of an accent. She had more of an accent because she was older and she'd stayed in Russia longer. But he was cold he as very, fuck, yeah. Literally was. Yeah, he yeah. was, like, cold, yeah. cold or whatever and standoffish. Yeah. Right, yeah. And... um. And he kind of had the um, Ivan Drago blonde hair. And he's like a, not, he wasn't super chiseled, but he was like a good size for a 17 year old, like an in shape dude or whatever. Right. And so I'm sitting there, I'm nibbling on the bacon. Then he comes down and he's like, and she's like, and they go back and forth in Russian. And then he just storms out. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, and she, her face just like changes. She just gets like really sad. I'm like, what is that all about? She's like, 
My brother just said that he heard everything we said last night. This oh, God. He's right next door. Hey. And this guy's never met me. And he's hearing me he's flat out being like, put it in your fucking ass. Yeah, banging a girl who's like in the same house as her siblings is a really shitty feeling the next day sometimes. Uh, I mean, I didn't even register it because in my head, it just was like, this is just how we have sex. This is how it is. This is house. Yeah, this is my house. Yeah. And then I'm just, yeah, I'm just thinking. (laughs) It was just so funny because also, so then he stormed off and then he pouted for a while. And I think he eventually did eat or whatever the fuck. Um but he made like a scene about it. Like he was literally pouty, like, mm, 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 right? Mm-hmm. And the rest of the time when I was with her, her brother just fucking sucked. Like this kid, he just sucked. He was just, he was the baby of the family. They treated him like a baby and he soaked that all up. And I didn't care for this guy at all. And when I was watching Miller's Crossing this time mm-hmm. and Verna and Bernie, and Bernie just fucking sucks, but she just yep. still does everything she can for him. That's what it made me. That that's what came to my head. I'm like, man, that reminds me of my ex girlfriend who had a really shitty brother, <laughs> including um, <laughs> offering to fuck her brother. That's a, a thing that happens. Yeah, with, apparently, uh, yeah. Treat uh, in the movie says one the uh, bedroom artistry or how did how did he word it exactly? To keep him safe from my friends or something along those lines. Oh no, and, but he said she she offered. She goes, yeah, Tom. She even offered. To teach me a thing or two about the uh, bedroom artistry. The bedroom Can artistry. Can you believe that? What a twist. He goes, yeah, but he goes, well, she speaks fine to you. And then he says, oh, well, you know, family. <laughs> yeah, family. Fucked yeah. up. <laughs> At least he didn't go in the other room and just like vigorously masturbate and cry. And like you just had to listen to it. <laughs> like you, you like w- yeah. knock on his door to apologize. And he's just like, he's like oh, looking at pictures God. of his sister. Like, yeah, I can't believe somebody stole her anal virginity before I could. <laughs> You're just my stepsister. Um. <laughs> but th- th- well, here's the thing. This movie, Miller's Crossing, is about brotherly love. Oh, a thousand percent. And we will talk about it because this is yeah. D-Gen Cinema, a podcast for fucked up movie lovers where two degenerates analyze film through the lens of the vices, addictions, and flaws that they share with their dysfunctional characters. We'll discuss films centered around cinematic figures driven by addiction, obsession, and compulsion, which often veers into self-loathing. I don't think there's anything too self-loathing about brotherly love, but I do understand brotherly love can be like a detriment to like your life path, you know, where you almost like care to the point of it being your biggest strength and your biggest weakness. Like Gabriel Byrne's character, uh, Tom, um, however loyal he is, like some of his loyalty is dishonest, but he is loyal. Right. And that is both in self-interest. Some of his, his loyalty is rooted in self-interest, oddly enough. It is, but then it gets like kind of convoluted whether or not it was his own self-interest or whether it was in the self-interest of like his boss and his buddy yeah. kind of, or his, you know or, I mean? yeah, I can't, yeah, I can't tell also that is, is he care more about the organization flows better and he wants the, the flow of society. This is how we keep, um, 
this is how the only way to keep it in our society flowing well that we that exactly how we have it is for me to do these things for me to make these sacrifices and unlike um what's his name who's the actor who plays leo the irish guy oh um albert finney albert finney yeah Yeah, unlike albert finney and john polito's character um he doesn't want power which is like an Mm -hmm. interesting thing because a lot of the movies that we've spoken about well, so far. He almost doesn't want to disrupt the, he doesn't want to disrupt what's going on here. He likes how it is exactly. Mm-hmm. Yep. Even at the point where they said, Hey, we'll pay off the debts. He's like, don't pay off the debts. Cause that, that like, that's not how it's supposed to go. I don't like the idea of these debts being paid off. I not like the that idea. Too proud. Not that he's too proud, but he just doesn't like the idea of it being, like I said, disrupted. And this movie starts with the, notion of like ethical code right like um Mm -hmm. i don't know if it's intentional i've watched the godfather and the godfather 2 twice each this week um (laughs) but it is hard like a psychopath i woke up at uh one in the morning the other night and was like i'll watch perhaps the finest piece of american cinema and possibly the greatest piece of popular art for the masses ever made um, at like one in the morning. And then I like came home the next day. I was like, yeah, I should watch that again. Right. And um, your compulsion to watch movies like that, is it lessened or worsened since you became sober? I, I, I think it's very, very much still the same where yeah, I used okay. to, you know, occupy my time sometimes when I was fucked up. Like I, I had a lot of trouble when, when I was using sleeping, mm-hmm. uh, even mm-hmm. if I was taking downers, I always said like a true addict, like opiates make them like a little hyper kind of like the mm-hmm. goal is always to be knocked out, but it takes you so much to get to there. <laughs> um, that like, you just kind of find yourself like awake a lot, just kind of in and out of consciousness. Like it's a, it's a weird state of being where you're like, man, I don't even know if I slept. Like, uh, I guess there's that mm-hmm. saying like codeine dreams, like opium dreams and stuff where it's kind of this like waking dream. Um, but I used to just like, you know, I'm up, man, I'm popping on fucking heat. I'm popping on yeah. the Godfather too. I'm popping on blowout. Like there's a, a lot of Fargo, Miller's Crossing, and No Country for Old Men in here too, Boogie Nights. Mm -hmm. Like these are movies that I have beaten into my brain and don't necessarily like regret that decision at all. Like you were saying, like sometimes these movies, like these kinds of movies, like The Godfathers and Miller Crossing, and like I'll put them in the same fucking conversation. Like I will put the Coen brothers in the same conversation as like Francis Ford Coppola and Scorsese as like perhaps one of the finest to, to kind of ever do it. Um, you save these things like, like it's almost like personally, you're- I do, personally, I save them as an event viewing, uh, not Miller's crossing, but Godfather, um, even no country, uh, apocalypse now. Mm. I'm like, okay, every two years I watch it. And then when I watch it, I'm like, oh, blows me away. And I just There say, it is. Yeah. Cinema, cinema. Yeah. That's why they <laughs> call it the best, you know? Yeah. Um, and there is something like 
putting on the warm cinematic comfort blanket where you're like, I'm watching a perfect movie right now. Like as people Mm -hmm. like us who just watch so many movies, like some of them are not good. Even the ones we kind of like, we recognize. Rather intentionally not good too, we watch. We deliberately will watch. I know this is no good. I don't care it's no good. Mm -hmm. I'm going to like it for it's no good. Mm -hmm. I mean, earlier today I watched Crank. Before we got on here, I was watching Crank. Mm. Obviously, Crank is beloved by film people. I like that movie. They don't hold it really high, but people do just tip their hat to it as a ton of fun, but it's a horse shit movie. Yeah, it's so stupid. <laughs> yeah. That Chinese <laughs> shit. Oh, and it's not even well constructed. No. Like, it's not. Like, it's, it's horribly <laughs> it's shot. It's crazy. Ugly. It's really yeah. ugly looking. And mm-hmm. Statham saves it. Statham just fucking... Anyways. Yeah, yeah. the momentum saves Crank. Mm-hmm. Like, the premise saves Crank with Statham. Like, when he's fucking that girl in the middle of the 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 market. Chinatown or whatever Yeah, yeah, it's Chinatown yeah, yeah. market. Yeah, it's so fucking good. Um, but I love the, oh my God, I'm watching something perfect right now. Like Mm -hmm. there's no flaws to be had. And then like you watch them a million times and like you can't even find flaws after you've started looking for them kind of movies. They're few and far between, few and far between regardless. Some of them are made by Joel and Ethan Cohen, the, um, famous filmmaking duo responsible for Miller's Crossing. Um, some of them were made by Francis Ford Coppola. And when this film starts with the small Italian man um, requesting something of the stoic mafia boss yeah. behind the in desk. In soliloquy fashion almost. Just <laughs> in soliloquy fashion. The um, yeah. I believe in America. Like th- that yeah. speech <laughs> from The Godfather. This is reversed from the the immigrant dream and and the the Godfather's theme, which is is power, right? Like, and if, they give him the accent, which like he's clearly a trashier dude. Yes, and um, Coppola <laughs> Coppola said uh, he likes. I, I forget where he learned it from. Maybe it was like Elliot Kazan or someone like that. He's like one of these old filmmaker maestros. Was like, whenever you make a film, you need to be able to talk about the film and explain it to someone in one word. And that way, every choice Mm. you make has that one word behind every one of your choices. And he's like, you know, with the first Godfather, it was like power. And the second one was family and, and things like that. And I think ethics would be the word for Miller's crossing. And they bring up moral fiber and moral character so much in that opening of Miller's crossing when Polito's like asking this Italian mob boss to, for permission essentially to murder a bookie um, for, for, you know, giving hot tips on his rigged fights or something along those lines. He went in to see if he would squawk. Yeah. And it's not because of this guy, causing him to lose money. It's not because, you know, this guy has like talked shit about him. It's because Mm -hmm. he doesn't like his ethics. And I think that's really interesting. Yeah. He doesn't like his MO. He doesn't like the way he carries himself. And that whole, like the main character, Tom played by Gabriel Byrne doesn't say a word for the first five and a half minutes of this film. I watched this movie twice today. that long? Yeah. It's that long. Yeah, he long. Just, yeah. Yeah. He lingers behind. And then the first thing he says is after Polito leaves the room and it's like, 
you made a bad choice. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you're you're not thinking correctly. So I, I'm looking at the the second time today and and these past viewings and during this discussion, like the kind of ethical fiber and the moral fiber of all of these characters in this pretty complex noir, right? Um, where like Tom is this loyal guy ethics are being brought up constantly but he's like this outsider observer who's moving through loyalties kind of throughout the film but no matter what he's always sticking to something for someone else it's never for him it's never for Mm. self-gain um and it's like often throughout the movie they give him outs where they could have said hey just take this money just do this and he could have easily but he just and and they and they it comes up with conversation with verna she says you always got to take the hard way you always gotta take the long way to fucking do things don't you and he does because the easy way would have been but would have been the non-ethical way and that's not how he operates it's not how he operates he cannot be bought like his debts Mm. cannot be paid by anyone else except for him but like brandon like is that an ethical code or is that simply just a degenerate guy who thinks that if you play a long game for long enough, everything will mm-hmm. write itself out. Like you ever like had a fucking parking ticket where you're like, I'm not going to pay that. I'm just going to let it go because eventually it won't matter. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that kind yeah, of yeah. shit. Like, yeah, he's, he's looking at it. Like he could solve the problem quickly, but then he would be left empty. It's almost mm-hmm. like it's a gambler thing. I cannot feel fulfilled unless I win it the way the game is supposed to be played. Mm-hmm. So I have to play out the entire game, but not because this is what the Lord wants or this is, uh, you know, there's a greater power or not because it's the greater good, just because I see that I view it as the game this way and I need to play out the game fully. It's a, it's a, like I said, it's self-serving even when he's helping other people for it, mm-hmm. like letting Bernie off the hook and he really, and he really wants to suck Tom's dick, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, metaphorically, he is operating under, cause it needs to, like, I need to win. The game needs to be won this way. And yes. otherwise it's worthless. It's completely worthless. And I will win just by playing the mm-hmm. whole way. You know what I mean? Many people give him, and he loves it when people tell him, oh, you play, you see the angles the best, you play the game, you're best at this. And he's like, and he never goes, oh, yeah, I know. But he's like, you could tell. He's like, oh, I know. Like, I know. And this is why I like it. Oh, dude, he's a guy who's cursed by his own intelligence. You know what I mean? Like, and and not only his intelligence. Well, and you said there's no self-loathing. He's, I think he's, like, (laughs) self-loathing. Because he's like... He kind of you think wants it's loathing or deprecation? Do you think it's loathing or deprecation? Do you think he hates himself or do you think that he's willing to like take a couple hits mm. and ruin his image because yeah. he knows at the end like he will get to where he has to be? Well, I mean, and he teeters and you can see him and, and his performance is so wonderful. His best performance isn't even though uh burns line delivery is exquisite throughout the film Mm -hmm. his best performances are when he's you think he's gonna buy it and he sells it in his face like oh fuck i actually 
might have played this wrong and then it mm-hmm. ends up good and then he just always then he is like quickly composed you know like when he's mm-hmm. in the woods and the, and he's just like speechless and he's throwing up and they're gonna off him because they can't find uh bernie's corpse mm-hmm. and the look on his face isn't like he's not selling it he's no. not like oh they'll find it he's just like oh fuck i misplayed i this. lost and he Sheer can't even think of anything yeah just mm-hmm. literal terror and then it turns out all right and he's just going oh, and he plays it off like oh yeah well you know that's i just yeah i could have easily it could have easily not found it but i'd be a dead man out there too whatever <laughs> mm-hmm. but he's not bullshitting his way through life either he's no, no navigating no. himself through it you know absolutely yeah he like again yeah because he's got a clear the game is played this way like it's this is uh this is what is propelling me through it. This is my propulsion. Um, but yeah, sorry, I'm just losing it here. But like basically, yeah, if if I don't if this is what's propelling me through it, this is what's mm-hmm. getting me going. And if we can't keep it within that, then I actually don't even care. I'm and I'm fine with checking out. And he's actually yeah, like like yeah, I, I'm fine. Like that moment where out, he throws up out. in the woods, like mm-hmm. he's accepted that at that fucking yeah. point. He's yeah. like, oh, that's it. That's the end of the game. I, you know, I'm not going to sit here like uh, Totoro eventually does and and scream and beg yeah, for yeah, my yeah, fucking yeah. life. No, I'm just going to accept it because this is how the game is played in the long run. Um, yeah, it's it's a really fascinating character, especially as the Dashiell Hammett, uh, who like I'm, I'm throwing names out like. And and like he wasn't even like a like a literary genius in his time. He wasn't fucking like Hemingway. Like Dashiell Hammett wrote like fucking pulp. Like him and uh who's the other one who wrote like the big Raymond sleep Chandler. and shit? Raymond Chandler. Yeah. Um, you know, now those guys are seen for for what they were. Like they were they were genre writers who wrote exquisitely within the genre and were able to like spin these yarns within these confines like said, they of wrote elevated pulp elevated pulp then yeah they wrote elevated pulp and and now it's appreciated like really for what it is and and i kind of think the plays and the riffs on that are kind of best when filmmakers like the coen brothers kind of fucking cut their teeth into it because like i i was reading like a book on um on like postmodern film and uh, this Dr. Booker or whatever his name was, who wrote the book he wrote postmodern film reviews the past, not as prehistory of the present, but as a warehouse of images to be rated of material. And like Mm. that really applies to the Coen brothers films from this very specific period that like kind of uh, try of all time, but yeah. 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 But especially Hudsucker proxy, Barton Fink and Miller's crossing. Cause they're like this retro surrealism where like they can work within the frameworks and settings of a genre to tell stories that are so distinctly not, genre stories like mm-hmm. and that gives me back to the uh dashiell hammond's kind of characters like the the lead guy in the maltese falcon and all those guys that like uh like bogart and stuff used to play back in the day in the movies um where those characters kind of famously like dished it out like to like the the villains or even when they were like morally ambiguous like those guys won fights right um, Gabriel Byrne 
gets beat up throughout this entire movie. He throws yeah. two hits. Uh, one in one of the funniest parts of this movie where there's two really funny parts that have to do with violence in this. When like the Italian guy, Polito like leaves the room. So uh, his no, big come in. Yeah. Well, his like big guy can beat him up yeah. and he's like, can I take my Jesus, jacket off Tom? first? Yeah. Jesus, Tom, you hit a guy with a <laughs> chair. No, he doesn't say hit him. With, he just says, Jesus, Tom, that's it. Yeah. yeah. And he like walks out all sad. Yeah. Like after yeah. his face. Oh. Dude, I was fucking. Like cool. all I was going to do is give you a beat and you know, it's just it, no hard feelings. It's going to give you a beat. You hit me with a fucking chair. Mm-hmm. And then the small guy comes in and just fucking. And dishes it out to him. him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Throws him around the room. He's like this little guy. I was fucking howling when I was watching that before, but that yeah, guy, that, Al Al Mancini is that director Tic Tac, not director, sorry, actor Al Mancini. The little guy, yeah, his name is Tic Tac. Yep, that's incredible. Only the and, and he throws and he walks in. He throws his hat and the way he throws his hat is wonderful. Mm-hmm. He walks in and just throws his hat like it's a frisbee, and mm-hmm. then and adjusts and adjusts his tie. Like I'm going to kick the shit. Adjusts his tie before he kicks the shit. Yeah, I'm not going to loosen it. I'm just and stiffen then, up. Yeah, and then Bert Tom's like, "All right, let me try this chair gag again." And guys, oh no, he just grabs a chair, whatever. He catches it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> catches it. Um, yeah that that's one instance where he throws out one hit and it fails dramatically, and he gets the shit beat out of him. And then at the end, yeah. when he makes the decision to kill Totoro, but other than that, this movie is filled with the lead, who in any other film noir would have been played by Bogart or someone you know, beating people up, shooting guns, winning fights throughout, trying to solve a mystery um, that they're not in control of. And this guy is getting tossed around the entire movie in complete control of the narratives that are going on. Losing every bet he makes. Losing every bet. Even though his first line is in uh, Casper, not Casper, is in Leo's office. His first, uh, his first few lines. He's really introduced when he's hung over on the couch, mm. and he's like, uh, "Oh, how do I do with the game? You're a millionaire. You going to remember your friends?" <laughs> right? <laughs> that, guy, that bartender's great, by the way. Yeah, that guy's and, amazing. And is like, because he's loose. Because he's just, and he's so okay. Because he goes, so he got his cleaned out that night. And then every time they're talking about his rate, him betting on horses, he's losing. He's losing every. He just, he's actually a loser even though he's mm-hmm. hyper intelligent and sees all the angles but he can't get out uh he's, he can't get out from in front of himself so he just keeps tripping over himself and losing and he just can't help it he's a loser who's in full control of his surroundings except yeah. for <laughs> when things come to chance and that's a lot of these guys in this movie yeah. and every time he gets his comeuppance throughout this movie which is usually just a beating mm-hmm Everyone who is beating him up or dishing it out to him is saying, no hard feelings. We think you're a cool dude, pretty much. Yeah, that's what they do. They kind of, Lazar asks, do you have any money? No, I don't have any. He goes, okay. And they beat the shit out of him. And they said, uh, yeah, he told us we don't have to break your thumbs or whatever. Yeah. They got the hoods. And then, and then he says, oh, tell Lazar's no hard feelings. Oh, come on, Tom. He knows that. He knows that. Yeah. <laughs> He really doesn't want to do this, Tom. You know, like everyone's yeah, yeah. like, like <laughs> yeah. dude, we really like you, but like you're really fucking up. Come you know? on. I mean, you're you're putting us in a spot here. Like we have to. We have to. 
Yeah, it's um it's a really unique kind of scumbag who has his flaws, obviously. And but his code of ethics mm-hmm. are recognized by everybody else. And that's what that's what earns him a lot of um not just leeway, but also respect, respect. Within his within his community. Mm-hmm. A hundred percent. And like, I don't know if you can kind of empathize with this idea, but like when you're doing something, I guess we'll say degen, like, you know, degenerate behavior, mm-hmm. whether it's, you know, you're drinking too much, you're, you know, you're a drug addict, you're fucking, fucking addicted, too much, fucking whores, addicted to whores, like whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And like, you know what you're doing is bad, but you're just like, you're, you keep doing it because you're like, it's okay. Like it'll be okay. Eventually. Like this will be fine. Eventually. Like everything will write itself out. And it's like, well, what are you doing about it? It's like, I'm just doing what I got. Well, that's what in the movie, uh, which will be discussed sometime in the future. Uh, but the movie shame Mm. 2011's masterpiece Mm -hmm. McQueen's Mm -hmm. masterpiece, his best movie. But anyways, how do you feel about those small acts movies that he made? I really liked those for Amazon. I'm just like, yeah, I'm just like fine with them. Um, but I, why Brendan, Brandon, mm-hmm. uh, the main character, Fastbender, mm-hmm. he keeps an immaculate apartment and prides himself on everything being where it should be because he is spiraling out of control. Mm-hmm. But this is the one thing I can control. Yeah. Is that like yeah. my, my sheets are crisp, that my, you know, my dishes are put away, that my, in 2011, when the movie came out, he had a record player and he kept it this way. In a certain, you know, it was always put exactly everything was in its rightful place because mm-hmm. oh, I felt the nice control of this because I can't control myself when I'm actually out in, in reality. I mean, when and, I was fucking using, man, I like prided myself on my ability to like maintain a good job, get up, look like a normal person, go mm-hmm. out into society like you're a vampire. You know what I mean? Like yeah, you're yeah. going, you're going out into the world, like literally sucking it dry of its blood and pretending to be anything but a monster. When but there's no splatter on, on the collar of my fucking shirt. No. Nah. So that's no. like, yeah, what are you talking about? There's a little, there's a little splatter on my shirt. And, and did I show up today? Did I to make yourself, you money today? Yeah. And you lie to yourself. Well, that's just me in those instances, but the rest of me is actually fine. Not realizing that it has become all encompassing and that is the real you. Mm-hmm. You go, no, you don't like the real me is the one who goes to work and keeps it together and pays the bills and keeps a clean apartment and, and, and uh, has my fucking clothes dry cleaned and the yeah, yeah, yeah. removed. Yeah. That's the real I have a healthy me. marriage, like, all this stuff. It's like, yeah. no, no, no. The real you is, is in the motel fucking using and fucking whatever with this, yeah. with this hoary bitch, whether you're paying yeah. her or not paying her, but mm-hmm. she's just like, she's just there just because drugs are there yeah. and what you guys are doing together. Yeah. The real you is the one who's like knocked out on the toilet while like your <laughs> wife is watching yeah. Netflix. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, well, yeah. Waiting to pass a stool. Cause you haven't in fucking seven and a half. Cause you haven't in fucking two or three weeks. Yeah. You literally yeah. have to <laughs> ask people to shove stuff up your ass. So maybe if they pull hard enough, something will come <laughs> flying the fuck out. Yeah. Um, when was the first time you saw Miller's crossing late? Okay. Uh, 2000, 2010, I think. 
Whoa, that is really late. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, it was um. Well, my movie, like I've said before on here, my movie Geekdom didn't hit into full gear until like the mid 2010s. I just was somebody who watched a thousand movies all the time. Okay, I never had any rhyme or reason, and I would just hear from whatever. And uh, so I always liked Fargo was my f- introduction to the Coens. Almost yeah, Fargo was the first one, and it blew me away. And I saw it as a teenager, it fucking blew me away instantly. Cool. But I was I I wasn't somebody who went, okay, what are the other movies they made? Mm. I was just like, oh, that was great. And then Big Lebowski was the next one. I was like, oh, that was awesome. I really liked mm-hmm. that. And what followed Big Lebowski? I don't even have it up in front of me. I probably should have. Uh, it was like the Lady Killers and the Man Who Wasn't There. Yeah, I just yeah. And I recently watched The Man Who Wasn't There, and I, I've tried it so many... I've tried it four different occasions. I just can't care about that movie. I like that movie, but I think it's more of a fun exercise than fun movie. But, like, Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou was huge, That's dude. right. That was that was what... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I really liked the bluegrassy shit and everything, but I was just like... I just didn't never love that movie. I still don't love that movie, but I respect it more than... Yeah, so then I was just kind of, then I was out, then you got to remember too, not remember because you didn't know me then, Mm -hmm. but I was just always, back then I was a super uh, either action or horror guy. Genre guy. So I was just crushing, I was just crushing everything with horror and I was crushing everything with action. Mm -hmm. And then I would get into the quote unquote, what I call dramas, which I don't even know if you eat now that I'm older and I appreciate slow moving. Like, I don't even call it a drama. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. well, it's crossing. I'm like, it's a fucking thriller. No, it's, yeah. I mean, it is a drama. It's a gangster movie. Yeah. 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 But that's but, the thing with the Coens. Like, it's. But as a 21 year old, you're like, that's a drama. Yeah. Yeah. And the Coens, they, they have the framework of gangster movie, thriller, comedy, but they're something totally different. They, the films themselves and the stories they're telling are so outside of genre, but they work within the framework of a genre. Like they they had the veneer of Absolutely. a gangster film or something, you know? Well, they're bar- what they did is they took the groundwork laid by the Walter Hills of the world sure. with a driver, you will, or whatever, or sure. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can pick a thousand movies and they said, Oh, okay, we can do that. Or maybe even thief, you know, mm-hmm. they said, Oh, we can, we can do that, but we get to, impose uh our again like the moral quandary isms mm-hmm. we get to impose like ask these really philosophical questions within it mm-hmm. and we get to dress it up but also these are the movies that we dug as kids so we kind of want to remake those as well mm-hmm. yeah they did which do is like later a- done by you know later and then tarantino's been like famously doing this whatever but they were doing that i mean blood simple just because well, they had no money for blood simple but Blood yeah. Simple is that. Yeah, it's really funny. This film was shot, uh, Miller's Crossing was shot by um, Barry Sonnenfeld, who's a cinematographer that I really like. And and he's made a couple movies that I really like. And a lot of stuff that just is like, he can make a big budget movie and it'll be okay. Like Wild Wild West and shit like that. But like, <laughs> The First Men in Black fucking rules. Adam's Family Values fucking rules. Like, those movies rule. Those are Barry Sonnenfeld movies I directed and shot, and they look crazy. Like, he, he's a very zany cinematographer. And actually, he got hired on Blood Simple because he was, like, at a party. He had just moved to L.A., and there was only one other Jewish guy there. 
and it was one of the Cohens. I forget which one. So they started talking and they found out that he owned a 16 millimeter camera. And he's like, my brother and I are going to make a fake trailer. So if you're around, bring your camera. They, they only invited him because he had a camera to shoot a fake trailer for a movie called blood simple. And that's going to be our proof to concept so we can get this thing made. Um, and he used his own 16 millimeter camera to fucking, you know, shoot this fake trailer and people liked it so much. They went around with it for like a year and they raised the money, uh, through like grassroots ways. A lot of like dentists and stuff like invested in blood simple, like same with like evil dead and Raimi, who was like kind of there, um, not just protege, but kind of like he kind of taught them a lot because they were involved with those early evil dead movies. Um, which we'll get back to Raimi in a little bit, I'm sure. But like, um, Sonnenfeld found himself on the blood simple set with like a 35 millimeter camera. And it was the first time him or the Coens had even been on a film set ever, which is like insane to think about considering like how prolific these people became, not only, to like movie geeks, but like popular culture at fucking large, you know, um, I have always treated surprise, surprise, um, all of my hobbies, like it's a job and I'm still like that to this day. Like, you know, me pretty well. And if I like something, I can't just like, kind of like it. I have I've never to- dabbled. I've never had a, a passing interest in my life. And nothing is like, oh, I just kind of, it's either I'm all in with it or I ha- I don't want it at all. Yeah. Which yeah. has led me to abandon things that I cared passionately about mm-hmm. and just go, well, because I can't balance that thing and my other thing. So I just have to yeah. never... I'm, and I'm actually happy with just letting you go. Yeah. I just can't have all I that have, in my head. No, all the that's time. my Leo, Leo in an inception voice. I have to let you go. I have to let, I have you, to go. let you go. Yeah. Um, yeah. When I was a kid, my little sister and I had raising Arizona on VHS. Like I'm talking like four or five years old. And I think Weird. it was like, t- yeah, I think it was like taped off HBO or something. Yeah. And, um, you know, my dad really liked it a lot and we would watch that movie a lot. And I don't think I knew why I liked it so much, but looking back as like a five, six year old raising Arizona is very Looney Tunes, Mary Melodies, Tex mm-hmm. Avery. It's like, you know, I I'm like a cartoonist and I like cartoons and I've always had like an affection for like zany cartoony stuff, especially like those old Looney Tunes things. And, uh, I, I think that's why I gravitated towards it. And I remember getting Miller's crossing from blockbuster, probably, I don't know, like seven or eight, like literally seven or eight and liking it, but it going over my head in like a huge, huge way, (laughs) obviously, (laughs) um, where I, I couldn't really comprehend what was going on, but I was so like invested in i need to know this director this actor like i i was a little kid like piecing things together like that pre-internet through like entertainment weekly and like variety and like getting magazines to my house when i I was a super movie geek when i was a kid and i used to just hang out at the local video store uh that was Mm -hmm. at the corner and they knew me and they just let me hang out there for hours and they'd Mm -hmm. play movies um as we talked about about what your old job 
Yeah. I did that as a seven-year-old. Yeah. As a seven to nine-year-old, I just hang out at this place. But I never, I only thought actors then. I okay. never thought directors. I only ever thought actors. So I watched I, the first movie that I loved as a kid that wasn't animated was Command was uh, Commando. So then I saw every Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, and I saw him a bunch of like a lot of times. And then it was Bloodsport. So then I saw every Van Damme movie a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. And then the first horror movie I watched I was seven years old. It's Friday the Thirteenth, Part Five: The New Beginning. Yeah. And then I was just crushing horror. Yeah. As a kid. But I never, yes. there was no, but there was no, I didn't, and I never would get, I would go, oh, they have this guy in it. And I'd watch it. It would be a shit movie. I'd mm-hmm. be like, Why did that movie suck so much? And my brain didn't think, oh, it's because that director wasn't involved. That's because they had the wrong cinematographer. I was just, that was how I, I was digesting movies then. And I, 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 was really, really similar. I think the thing that made me know what a director was and did, and the reason why was because that late eighties, early nineties, we had popular movies being made by people with really bold styles. So like I saw Pee Wee Herman and Batman and knew yeah. Tim Burton made both of those because it's like, I could tell, like they sounded the same. They looked the same. Like Burton might've been the first guy where I was like, I, okay, that's what a director does. Right. Um, Steven Spielberg too. Like his name was like above things. So I had to think like, okay, next time Steven Spielberg makes a movie, I'll, I'll go see it. And then I was just so OCD pretty much. Like I've been so compulsive and obsessive since, forever to this day like i lost my hair because of it i pulled my fucking eyebrows out because of it but like i uh i saw raising arizona and just thought like this this i need more of this so i i went and got miller's crossing from a blockbuster knew it was good but couldn't understand why it was good same thing with barton fink and then the hut sucker proxy came around and that was a movie like kind of not for kids, but more juvenile and, and like really goofy. So I think I've told you this before. I'm not sure if I've said it on the pod, my 10th birthday party. I had my dad take me and like five friends to go you see said, Fargo. You, you said it on the pod, but yeah. yeah. So Did say I say the sorry, condensed version, but yeah. you said it on the pod. Yeah. So I took, I had my dad take me to go see, Fargo in the movie theaters with my friends and my friends probably all thought I was a fucking psychopath and um yeah big Lebowski all all the kids all the kids see Fargo the 10 year old kids 9 and 10 year old kids see Fargo they go whoa daddy yeah that's a Fargo reference oh geez that's what that's what he says when he when after he shoots the cop Mm mm-hmm oh daddy is it oh I think it's whoa oh it is whoa yeah I haven't seen Fargo in a minute it's either it's either it's one of those I don't know um, I I was on vacation in Puerto Rico and my father and I left a resort and drove to a movie theater to go see Big Lebowski in the movies. Mm. And I have been a mandolin player since I was like six, seven years old, mm-hmm. like as like a musician. For some reason, I think they like had a traveling door to door 
person who looked up like Italian families with vowels Guys, at the I'm end of their you, last name. I was the coolest fucking eight year old. I was playing my mandolin. I was watching. I was not very cool. <laughs> Heavy dramas. Yeah, I was not very cool, but I did know how to play mandolin. I uh, didn't yeah. have a lot of friends. Um, and uh, but but knew I would. Just I saw my first tit last week. Mm-hmm. I would crush it in college, you know. Um, but uh, when when. Oh brother, where art thou came out by the time I was in fucking junior high school, like all of a sudden bluegrass was like popular for like mm-hmm. a couple weeks. And I was like, I'm there guys. You know what I mean? Oh, bluegrass like, is popularity maintained, meaning like it, it, uh, you know, it, it did plateau then, but it's mm-hmm. now still way more popular now than it ever was in the nineties or eighties. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. And I played mandolin uh, and my two other friends, my one buddy played banjo and we had like a guitar buddy and like we, what age? God, junior high, (laughs) like junior high. And like, we could literally like sit on like a, and we'd done it. Like we would like go up to like a supermarket (laughs) bro and just like play grateful dead songs, like on our little instruments and like make like fucking 40 bucks, you know, buy some weed. I swear to God. I swear to God, we would like play our little stupid instruments, like mostly like Grateful Dead songs and Man of Constant Sorrow and shit. And right, because uh, you're okay, you're you're fucking blowing through all your experiences with the Cohen Brothers movies. Here, yeah, right? I, I basically I at think, the end of the day, no, I didn't think that's I love where you're the gonna Coens. go because I, but I, because I didn't think that's where you're gonna go. If we're gonna fucking swap stories for this, then mm-hmm. I have to tell you this. It's it's not related to anything, but um. Peter Stormare, the the guy who's like the Russian guy, whatever. Yeah, Peter Stormare. Yeah, Stormare. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, So do you know you know TIFF, Toronto International Film Festival, every September in Toronto. Mm -hmm. So 2008, I went to. Was it eight or late? Anyways, (laughs) um, 2008. Actually, maybe it was 2007. Doesn't matter. 2007, 2008. I went to. uh, party that like it was tiff sanctioned and they had and it was at a small place small venue mm-hmm. and like a lounge more like a lounge than a club type place nice place in yorkville which is the um what's in manhattan like the fancy part of manhattan like the upper east side yeah, like it's like the Upper area. East Side, Toronto's yeah, yeah. Upper East Side, right? Yeah, I was going to because I know like Lower East isn't super, but yeah, Upper East Side. So it, this is like Toronto's Upper East Side. Mm-hmm. And me and my buddy got, we waited in, we had to wait in line, which we never did. But then we, did, we waited in line and then the, we were like right at the front and they said, oh, are you on the list? And we're like, uh, there's a list? And they're like, yeah you gotta be on a fucking yeah. list to get in this place we're like oh fuck and we talked our ways in and like hey we'll let you in but you have to pay cover so mm-hmm. we pay the cover whatever we get in we're in i'm wearing a blazer for christ's sakes blazer and nice, dress shoes nice. whatever well late 2000s you had to dress like this to get into mm-hmm. clubs mm-hmm. fucking peter Stormare is sitting right there and he's sitting with uh at a he's sitting at a, on a couch like in a with bottle service with Ty Domi, the fighting hockey player guy from the Toronto Maple Leafs. Like oh, hell yeah. Fighting. Yeah. Right? Ty Domi. He's, he's in a booth with Ty Domi. And guess which famous black actor? Old Wesley Snipes. Actor. 
Oh, that's a good guess. Um, Thanks. Why do they just uh, Danny Danny Glover? Oh wow, that's crazy. <laughs> Danny Glover, Ty Domi, and Peter Stormare chilling together because they clearly were paid to mm-hmm. be at the place, mm-hmm. and they weren't talking. They were just sitting there like having drinks. They didn't look angry, but they also weren't having a good time. No. And so whenever I see Peter Stover anywhere, like, I always just think of him at this thing. Like clearly they paid him like, I don't know, $500 or $1,000 sure. or something to, to, to be there tonight. It wasn't like an insane amount of money, but they yeah. obviously he didn't want to be there. And yeah. he, he's not friends with Ty Domi. <laughs> Ty Domi. Uh, what, what year was this? Jesus, you made the 2000 late. Oh, yeah, late yeah. It was like 2000 and late. Yeah. I just wanted to, I yeah, was yeah. wondering, like, because he was on the Rangers for a little while. So I was like, I wonder if he was on the Rangers by that time. Uh, it was um, either 2007 or 2008. I forget which year. But it was September okay. of either of those years during TIFF. Oh, anyway, time, no, I just had to interject because you were fucking going off and telling me every, giving me your life story of every uh, moment of how my, a Coen Brothers movie shaped you. Shaped like, oh, I didn't know this was going to be you. Just like <laughs> today well, we're talking about how the Coen Brothers shaped me and only me. Well, it's fucking hard to talk about the Coen Brothers. Like, I guess at the end of the day, at one point in time, the Coen Brothers were my favorite filmmakers, right? I I would probably say up until like around the time of like No Country for Old Men, I still maintain that true grit. Like, wait, so after their best movie, you still maintained you love them? No, like <laughs> I would still the like, greatest movie they have ever made. Maybe who's that's ever been made? And ever been made? That's, that's what I'm saying. But like from the time I was like six years old to the time I was like thirty. I was like, these Got it. No, are I'm just, my I'm favorite filmmakers. The way, you fra- the way you phrased it is a, is a funny way to say. It. I was still team. I was still team Coen Brothers even after No Country for Old Men. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm one of those guys. I still like PTA after. Yeah, I still like them <laughs> there after There Will Be Blood. Will be blood. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, I just I they. Say what you will about Gilroy, so but after Michael Clayton, I was like, <laughs> that's just me dropping all my 2007's uh, bangers mm-hmm. there. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. Amazing year for film. <laughs> An amazing year for film. Um, oh, so when are we going to do, when are we going to jump into this? Is it right now or when are we going to do this? Where we rank Cohen's? Are we going to jump or are we going to leave that and then do you want to just are we going to jump into? Uh, well, let's do it. Let's what? do that now. Like, where does this fit in your? Not, I don't want to rank the Coens, but where does this fit yeah, in yeah. your ranking? My basically? personal, my personal, like, I love it. It is. Mm-hmm. I just can't deny no country. I just can't deny it. Sure. It's. it's anyways, actually, as a funny aside, I saw No Country for Old Men in well when it was released. And I was walking down Richmond Street in Toronto, and I was heading to Scotiabank Theater. If you know Toronto, you this is all mm-hmm. you know all these. And but this is back with because so Toronto had a, about the early 2010s. They had a they they killed all old Toronto. You know how New York did that with the Giuliani shit, whatever. Sure, well, they sure. did that in the in the like with the they have condos everywhere now, and they just killed all old Toronto. So this yeah. is when there was still old Toronto. And I'm walking down, and I don't know when this movie was released, but I was wearing a winter coat because it was cold as shit. Mm-hmm. And there's me, 
by myself, middle of it's 5 p.m. I'm probably going to like the 6 p.m. showing of this movie or something, or it's 6, okay. I'm going to the 7 p.m., something around there. And there's a couple walking towards me. There's no one else in the street, me and this couple. And it was some dude, I don't know who the fuck he is, and a girl who had a scarf around her her head. And the way she was wearing it was like, I don't want people to recognize me. And we walked by each other and we exchanged for three to five long seconds, just stared at each other as we passed. And it was uh, Chloe Savetti. Oh, really? That's crazy. Yeah. From and then, kids and then I went, and brown and then bunny? I went, yeah, from, yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> the one who funny. got raped on film. Yeah, yeah. Her, In the her, mouth by the yeah, director. Was it, was, it, was it her boyfriend or husband at the time or something? Or they, I, I just think, think they, like they, she was in a bunch of his movies. Work, yeah, okay. yeah. I thought they actually were an item, but yeah. And it was just funny because I was like, the way she was being was like, no pictures, no pictures. And I was like, hey, close of any. No one, especially in Toronto in the late 2000s, Ain't no one give a fuck, you know. Yeah, maybe people now, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, and and I was like, oh, that's funny. And then I went and I went and saw No Country by myself. And then yeah, I was like, No Country then, was in November, December of of two thousand seven, so it would have been cold. Yeah, it like would, I said, I couldn't even. Remember, I don't only remember cold. I don't remember what the date was. Um, and uh, also to bring it back to the movie we are talking about, mm-hmm. No Country tells you like the title is what tells you what the mm-hmm. movie's about yeah and so i had friends when it came out they complained oh it was stupid because the guy steals the money brolin and then he disappears and i mean sorry then he you know he's on the hunt and then he gets killed off camera and then he's just dead he goes it was, they go it was really stupid how they killed him off oh I'm like well that's not the movie isn't about him yeah. actually yeah and in miller's crossing they just plainly stated Hey, this movie is about the absence of moral ambiguity. Yeah. <laughs> Meaning we do terrible things, but we do it because we have a code because yes. we have ethics. Ethically. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's so concrete in theme. It's incredible. I, I was but, in the theater. It lays that- it out for you. It, they go, we're laying, we're going to lay it all out and then it won't be obvious throughout the experience. But if you mm-hmm. just remember what we told you from the beginning mm-hmm. and it's like, and if you watch no country, with that little monologue that Tommy Lee Jones gives at the beginning voiceover monologue. Yeah, the, I don't know what to think about that. Yeah. That, yeah, yeah. That one. Yeah. I'm about really the proud kid of that. Yeah, we, were, his... we were sheriffs at the same time. Yeah. Me and whatever. And uh, Jim Scarborough, you know, the younger Jim, not the bigger, not the bigger Jim or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that whole thing. Yeah. He lets it, he's talking about if I get to the point, I can't deal with society anymore than like, I guess I'm going to have to just like cash my chips in. Yeah, this is the end of the run for this era of the lawman. Yes. The end of man. Of, of man. Yeah, it's it's yeah, yeah. it's like the dawn of just the complete lack of morals. Yes, throughout society, like pure societal decay. Ruleless. Yeah. Lawless. Yeah. Lawless. lawless. Literally lawless. Literally lawless. Yeah. yeah, it's incredible. I I saw no country opening night with my best friend at the time who I grew up with and another guy, little kids watching raising Arizona together. And halfway through the movie, I nudged him and I said, I'm halfway through the best movie I've ever seen in my life. And I was so excited. And wow. When it ended, people booed in our theater. Yeah. So it was, I, I, I remember I came back from the movie I saw by myself and my mm-hmm. friends had seen it before me. 
And I came back and they said, what did you think of it? And I was like, I was just like, can't even conceptualize, you know, I can't even express myself. Sorry. I can't even yeah. express myself. Just how yeah. wonderful this movie was. And then, and everyone's like, ah, oh, I just thought it was stupid. It was killed off camera. <laughs> like, it sucked. It yeah. didn't even explain this. I'm like, he was killed what? off camera after you got one of the craziest shootouts, like, of all time. Like, that shootout in, like, Mexico City or Tijuana or whatever is so insane in that movie mm-hmm. when they're getting shot in the car and, like, and then he goes to fix himself up and blows up the fucking pharmacy and he's just walking out. I'm like, Holy shit, this is intense. No, that's in the U.S. still. He crosses because he crosses into Tijuana um, bloodied. That's why he steals a jacket, not steals, yeah. buys a jacket off the it's kid or whatever. It's so but, good, man. It's so good. But where does, sorry, where does Miller's... Well, actually. I, didn't, yeah. I don't mean to be well, yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah, no. Either. Where, where just, does Miller's Crossing fall in, in your bracket? Not necessarily... Don't rank the Cowboys, there's, but... There's, there's, there's one, which is that movie, No Country, and then mm-hmm. there's two, which is Miller Miller's Crossing. Wow. And then and then there's, a, there's some other wonderful movies they made. Yeah, yeah. I it's Miller's Crossing is by the way, Fargo held the two spot for a very long time. I just mm. don't love Fargo anymore. I just love it for what it was for its time. And I think it's if you want to throw the masterpiece, which I'm trying not to, if you want to throw that label on it, fuck, no one can argue with you. I think it's mm-hmm. inarguably is. Mm-hmm. But for me personally, it just is of its time. Just like I don't rewatch Boogie Nights, dude. I don't. I'm like Boogie Nights. I saw it, blew me away. It's fucking phenomenal. No interest. I'm like I'm done. I watched it like four to twelve times in the late '90s to mm-hmm. early 2000s, and I'm like I'm done. I've watched that movie like twelve times this year. I swear to God. This year? <laughs> this year? Yes, this year. Mm-hmm. I I shit you not. I watch that movie like once a month. I just throw on Boogie Nights, put on my comfort blanket, you know. Um, have you okay you know what we're gonna we're gonna go for break here in a minute and then we're gonna we're gonna pick this back up but um i want you to go to letterbox right now because i want it i want your reaction on air i want you to letterbox and go to my my letterbox or maybe new from friends you'll see it and see my review of crank okay i think i can do that why did you did you give it a five star? You rarely give things five just, stars. Just read it. Just read my review of Crank. Read okay. it. Okay. Well, I'm gonna have to find this, it first. And yeah, uh, I don't know. Oh, if you go to my page, I don't know. Well, how luckily, the fuck I'm a master Googler. You gave it three and a half stars, no, and you rated it. My, uh, no, if, no. Go if, to my page. I'm there. I'm most, on it, dude. I'm a master Googler. If, what did if, I write? If Andy's morning energy drink was a movie, this is very true. <laughs> this is very true. <laughs> This is very true. <laughs> you have one like on your review now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is very true. Miller's Crossing is in the middle of the road for the Coen brothers for me. And I still rate it at five stars, by the way. Um, you don't want to throw a masterpiece to Fargo and but well, I, no, I'm, I'm like debating it is. I'm just like, oh, I hate overly saying the term masterpiece. That's what I'm, that's what I'm yeah, just trying to catch myself. When you're in front of it, man. I, I, I really like the balance of like comedy and like serious genre stuff with the Coens. Or I prefer the like when they're going very bold on like an original concept. So like Fargo, Lebowski, No Country, and A Serious Man are like my and serious man is a very personal one where it's just like 
<laughs> been there, done that as like a, you know, Italian Jewish, Jewish kid. Jewish man whose uh, life yeah. is falling apart. <laughs> yeah. I just like, I get it. Everything I love is unraveling. <laughs> I just, I love that movie, but it's very specific. Like, and it reminds me of a friend uh, who is that person. Um, Are you Jewish enough that you did the whole, or is it all part of a bar mitzvah where you have to um, recite Torah in the actual I, my mother is my mother is jewish uh my father's from sicily but we didn't grow up with like religion in the household okay okay. so like they're very much like we are americans now you know what i mean but it's still like my mom is from like a jewish family and they all got like so you never did the like reciting hebrew stuff is what i'm asking uh at holidays and stuff i did and i you know i i know it you know what i mean i can like pick up the Torah and like the pages like at you know it's kind of like I guess the equivalent for uh like Christians or Catholics who go to church on like Easter and Christmas only where like we do um you know the high holiday and like Yom Kippur Rosh Hashanah and and like Passover you know essentially Mm -hmm. and that's the only time I ever speak uh Hebrew like in a household with a bunch of people and shit like that but um that doesn't mean I didn't grow up surrounded by Jewish people either. And I'm not, uh, you know, um, like, uh, ethnically Jewish because a lot of people are like, Oh, you can't be ethnically Jewish. It's a fucking religion. It's like, it's kind of not though. Like it's like a, a tribe of people that like got moved from country to country because they kept getting kicked out of places for like so long. So in the past hundred years, like, yeah, but like before that it was like, Nope, Jews lived here. Jews lived here. Jews lived here. They were just kind of like bouncing around. So serious man just like hit real fucking hard. Um, but all of these are five-star movies. Miller's crossing is a five-star movie. Like all of like, I don't think there's a single Coen brothers movie other than the like intolerable cruelties, lady killers, um, Buster yeah. Scraggs or whatever. The Buster fuck. Scruggs. That's got yeah. some 10 out of 10 moments, but it's just fucking yeah. long. You know, it's just fucking long. Like I even like hail Caesar. By the way, like, James Franco line delivery. Uh, first time is all timer. And that story with like Liam Neeson when he like kills the crippled guy, like the carnival, fuck it, like that shit's crazy, dude. That that's some dark, dark, dark shit. But um, yeah, thank God we have the Cohen brothers in our lives. At the end of the day, in the uh, the very Godfather esque opening with uh, Polito requesting the permission to kill the double crossing bookie. Bernie. What's Bernie's last name? It's such a good name. Bomb bomb. Bomb bomb. Yeah. I kept thinking they were saying bon bon. So I was laughing the first time. No, yeah. it's burn bomb. It's burn bomb, but they mm. say it bon bon. Bon bon. Bon bomb. Yeah, but it's burn. Yeah. But no one says burn bomb. It, one thing that's kind of fun about this movie, by the way, before I get into what I was about to say, is like it was shot in New Orleans, but it's not specifically any city. Like they never say where they are. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's got like a little bit of Chicago, a little bit of New York, a little bit of New Orleans, but it's definitely like. Well, a thing, uh, part of that is deliberate that I believe, and we're not going to get into the um, sociological discussion about it, is how even though everybody's white, how diverse everybody is. It is a comment that because it's, it's portraying a time in America when America mm. was trying to find itself with 
you know, with when that like with the well, they're angry to the Jews. They don't like the Irish. The, yeah, like, immigration. Everybody has all these, yeah. these different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, immig- it's like second wave immigration, like during the era of prohibition where like, mm-hmm. it's not the 1910s. It is now the 1920s. We've had 10 years of like assimilation into yeah. what, became the american culture so mm-hmm. you got a lot of irish cops you got a lot of italian store owners you know you got a lot of mm-hmm. jews running banks and businesses um i think you got a lot of schmata kids Let's yeah jews obviously yeah yeah that means jew in italian so the um oh is that what that is I didn't yeah know yeah I, that's what that yeah. means um but i think i read somewhere that like the cohen's chose to shoot it in new Orleans because they didn't have to like necessarily build a million sets because like mm-hmm. the architecture it just looked, like, it is still, yeah, it just, lo- it still had the old buildings, the old streets. Yeah. 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 So, but I, I do really dig that about this movie where it's like city in America prohibition. Like, you by know, the way, if they ever, pre- if they've ever made a present day movie about like 1940s to 1940s, 50s, Chicago, they'd film it in Detroit. The architecture in Detroit is still is, intact old is it fucking building oh yeah it's the downtown it's wonderful it's beautiful it's beautiful yeah it's like chicago uh, like went more futuristic and modern mm-hmm. than like even new york did where like you could still find areas of new york where like all the buildings are the exact same buildings and skyscrapers that were built back in like the 40s and the 50s like there's obviously a lot of places that were either torn down or a giant crazy looking thing with a starbucks at the bottom was fucking installed but yeah um the architecture through here gives it this kind of fucking every man kind of city so you can kind of just like take your pick of where it's going to be. It definitely felt like Chicago. And then like halfway through, I was like, where does this take place? And I just Googled like, where is Miller crossing? And it's like, then nowhere. Also, it does feel like Chicago, but then when they're like on the outskirts, it, it has very Narlins feel. Yeah. And one of the reasons the Coen brothers made this movie, apparently were they said, whenever you think of a gangster movie, you think of a gangster in the city. You never think of the gangsters in the woods. <laughs> and I <laughs> thought that was, kind of funny um as somebody from long island and new jersey i think they underestimate how often gangsters drive out to the pine barrens to dispose of bodies and i very much think of gangsters always having a place in the woods to drive someone and drop something off um but in that very godfather-esque opening with uh polito's character requesting the permission to kill the bookie, the double crosser, Bernie Bonbon. Um, <clears throat> it kind of becomes clear that there's another character we haven't talked about in this called Dane, who's like Polito's number one guy. Right. He's like his big henchman. Um, stereotypical kind of tough guy uh, that it's it's more personal for him. Like he's he's rather fired up about it and like doubling down on all of the decisions. Not it's only an affront, that. It's an affront to him that they, they're operating like this. Yeah. Yes. And then it's later confirmed that Bernie, the bookie, is the other man in a homosexual relationship between the tough guy, Dane, and his lover, Mink, who's played by Steve Buscemi, who really only has one scene. And then, like, we see him dead later on. But, like, 
he chews the dialogue so heavily in that one scene that it's just kind of like, wow, Jesus, he's Jesus. where's he get that from? <laughs> Dude. Both Bernie, John Turturro's character, and Buscemi's mink are these conniving, like, haze code compliant sissies. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know about the haze code? No. Okay, so, like, after Prohibition and, like, after silent movies, there was, like, this era of the talkies where people started making things that was, like, it was like almost free reign up until world war two. And then like post world war two, like America got like kind of prude and was like, we need, you know, bad guys can't win in movies. Um, they, they like instated like an ethical code, like based on like a handshake agreement between all of the major studios that said like a bunch of rules, like you couldn't, depict drug use explicitly you couldn't have a villain win you couldn't have like a homosexual relationship so like everything the during the Hayes code which i think ran from like you know the mid 40s to like the mid 50s had to be like kind of coded and that's where we got um like sinatra is like the man with the golden arm where it was like this guy was a heroin addict but we never saw him do heroin and he called it junk the whole time because they had to work around the haze code to get it released and like a lot of noirs came out around that time um with a lot of like moral ambiguity but it was all like coded to imply so and so is a homosexual or so and so is a prostitute and they never just said like oh this woman's a whore Basically, so like um, there's that character that uh, Joel Cairo plays in the Maltese Falcon, or even if you've seen like Rebel Without a Cause, I forgot the name of that other young actor. Like he's so obviously gay, but like, Mm -hmm. you know, they couldn't say like this guy was a homosexual. So it's just kind of cool that like we have these characters that are so explicitly coded as homosexuals contrast with Eddie Dane, who's this fucking terrifying uber masculine misogynist at one point he says i'll track down all of you whores whores and and you know we're flat out told like there's that dialogue between buscemi and and gabriel Byrne on the staircase where he's like well you know me and me and Bernie were amigos and yeah. Oh, I didn't know you're keeping other friends. The Dane found out. That's what I just did. The Jesus, Tom, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he, and they're just calling him friends. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, I don't know if you ever had. So when my grandfather, after my grandmother had died, he had a girlfriend mm. and he would just say his lady friend. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what they were like using that. Like you said, coding, like, Oh, this is my friend. Yeah. Like, like when he goes, oh, I don't think the Dane would go, you know, would take it well that you're keeping up with other friends. He's like, where would mm-hmm. he get that idea or whatever? And then by the end of the fucking movie, the thing that pushes the Dane over the edge is that Mink got killed in this entire thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's heartbroken he that killed he- Mink and he's choking him. He's like, I'll, I'll have, you're going to say it. And he's choking him to death, trying to kill him. By God, if it's the last thing I do, whatever he's saying, you're going to say it. He's choking him. Yeah. With his gloved hands. You killed my, you killed my lover. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that relationship between, you know, 
the double crosser, the stoic, you know, kind of tough guy. And then the, the business guy is very much mirrored by Leo. The, well, there's a ton of uh, love triangulation going on yes. throughout this movie. Yes. The Leo Tom Verna. Yeah. Stuff. Which is the obvious one, which is the movie is held up on it. But then, yeah, like you said, well, then the, the mink Bernie Dane and then uh, Dane Leo, which mm-hmm. is, which is, you know, Dane Leo and uh, sorry, not Dane, not sorry, Dane Casper yes. and Tom. And yes. Dane doesn't like that Tom's being introduced because he's like, hey, I'm the guy. I'm your guy. Like, what are you I'm doing? your right hand. You know, guy. that's not romantic, not romantic, but it's brotherly love. Yes. And that's the theme that you kind of latched onto the most kind of like on recent watches is like the theme mm-hmm. of brotherly love throughout this entire thing. Even if they're sucking each other's members, uh-huh. it's brotherly love. It's like, oh, we're like, I love you like a brother. Because Tom loves Leo. Yes. And Leo and and so I and it's you could almost make the thing when when Tom beats sorry, when Leo beats the shit out of Tom because he found out about Verna. Mm-hmm. It's like you cheated on me. Not yes. not you fucked my girl. Yes. And he says at the end, it's the kiss off. Mm. Which is the the Coens deliberately chose that phrasing. Thousand percent. Everything that they chose in this script is so deliberate. Yes. I've heard a story that there was the Coens were sitting down for a writing session. I guess they sit, they literally, or they used to at least literally sit together and and write. And during one session, they spent an entire day like struggling with a word. Oh, Jesus. And that's, and at the end of the day, they were just like, that's what they came up with. And I like, I don't, and now I heard this said by an actor, not a Coen Brothers actor, but like a, somebody in Hollywood. And, but they didn't cite where they got this from. So I don't know where that's from. Mm-hmm. I like to think that was working on Miller's Crossing, the way sure. how airtight the dialogue in this movie is. And it's so rapid fire. The idea that uh, Totoro's character was sleeping with, Buscemi's character because Buscemi, you know, was sleeping with the Dane and the Dane Mm. is the only other guy who knows. Yeah. That's where he's grabbing info. That's where he's grabbing the info and Buscemi's only sleeping with Mink. And, you know, I mean, Mm. uh, Totoro's only sleeping with Buscemi rather. Yeah. To, Mm. to get that information. Um, Later on in the film, you know, we find out that Gabriel Byrne's character is sleeping with Verna because she's sleeping with Leo and he knows that Leo sleeping with Verna is weakening him. So him breaking up that relationship, like also to interject here in the movie, it's funny because we all know Marsha Gay Harden as a as a wonderful character actor. Yes. But I didn't know that she was a bombshell when she was young. Oh, yeah. And she's a rocket in this movie. And so Tom, Gabriel Byrne, is looking at Verna and being like, okay, you're a rocket. Why are you fucking this old man? You're clearly doing it for an angle. And he's mm-hmm. like, to me to find out, I'm going to fuck you. And also, I kind of just want to fuck you. 
You, but uh, I want to do it like <laughs> both I, of them. Like I want to fuck you and I want to find out what's up. After I figured out all the stuff that was going on between the Dane and Buscemi and Totoro, part of me thinks that the only reason why Gabriel Byrne was sleeping with her is to get Albert Finney's character on the right track in the same way that Totoro is only sleeping with Buscemi to get you know, inside scoop on the fight so he can rig them as a bookie. You and it's never like Verna wants Tom to want her. Yes. Cause she's like, cause she is fucking with Finney just to, just because of his status. Mm-hmm. But she actually likes Tom mm-hmm. and she's hoping that he actually likes her. And she keeps, she's like, ah, oh, you're such a son of a bitch, Tom. I never met a guy who made being such, such a son of a bitch, such a point of pride. And mm-hmm. oh, you always take the lo- the heart. And then when after it gets ex- after Leo beats him up, finds out, and it gets exposed, she's like, oh, why do you always gotta take the hard way? And she's thinking, you're doing it because you love me and want to be with me. But he never cracks and says anything nice to her, never treats her great on in the movie. He never does. At all. At all. Yeah. And he's just like, Yeah, you're a floozy, you're a whatever, fuck you, you're yeah. a you're a trumpet, yeah, not trumpet. What is it? What is the what's the phrase I'm looking for? But whatever. Like you just what do they call them? It's amazing. Whatever all the dialogue, like what do they say? Uh, like instead of get lost, they have like some crazy thing that they say. It's not scram, but like uh, all that um well, I know they begin conversations with what's the rumpus is like what's going on. Oh, I love it. Um yeah, what do they say at the end? Uh, what do they say to tell people like ah it's not scram, but it's something like a long no, those it's, lines. It's super yeah. uh, Raymond Raymond Chandlery. So like I've yeah. actually this year read four Raymond Chandler novels. Very cool. Um, and they just they're it's so incredible because I think he wrote them in the forties, mm-hmm. thirties and forties. Yeah, and when you see how they and he does a great depicting people being crazy too. Oh like, yeah! Holy shit! These are like really imbalanced characters, mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is before. Because before they used to just you just call someone either crazy or not. There wasn't any bipolar, mentally ill. Whatever. You never had. You just was like you're either a fucking crazy person, or you're not. You're a loon or not. Mm. And it, he just had people who they let their emotions run their entire life. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's. Uh, that's what um, ethics guy. That's what uh, Casper is. Mm-hmm. He just lets emotions run his life. Yeah, a hundred percent. Emotions rape- and like intuition, you know. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, he lets it like run away with him, you know, like uh, <laughs> um. But it, when you read those Raymond Chandler novels, how in depth they get, like people from the nineteen forties. I mean, of course, there were people, but they weren't you weren't openly talking about uh, especially the lower dregs of society like this, or they, he also was exposing just because you have money doesn't mean you're, you're any better than anybody. hundred percent. And he was yeah. showing how crooked a lot of people with money were. Yeah. And, and also like how not just Chandler, but also like the Coens here when mm. people are, using someone or using the system for their self gain rather than using someone or using the system to like right or wrong or put something back on track. That's what fucks them over. Like that's their undoing, you know, like 
Buscemi's characters sleeping with this dude just to get information for self-prosperity and to get himself more money, get himself out of trouble, like whatever it might be, where Gabriel well, Byrne's going character back to the back going, sorry to interrupt, but going back yeah. to the immigration immigrants, everybody's like, got to get one up on everybody else because they're all just trying to eat. Yeah. They're trying to get a slice of the pie, not the entire pie. No, I mean, pie. literally eat. Not just we eating out here. Like, no, we are just trying to like fucking eat. Like yeah. that when um, Tom visits the uh, washed up boxer guy, the, the the doofus guy, the guy who screams when the gorilla gets killed. Yeah, the yeah. gorilla guy. The gorilla. You see what the guy living in? Yeah, squalor. Squalor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how most squalor. people, that's how most people are living. Mm-hmm. In yeah, that, on top in that of time each other. That, yeah. 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 Um the excuse me. So you have to be a little bit heart you just have to be a little heartless to to everybody everybody is self-serving in this movie. Except for Gabriel Byrne, who's only serving the system. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's he's serving what he feels is the natural the order in the long game. Yeah, yeah the like the order. ecosystem. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah the natural yeah. order. However you want to put it. I really mm-hmm. don't have like a good phrase for it. The mm-hmm. the the way in which societal norms should be, which is like and yeah. no matter who he's serving to do it, because obviously this movie is like, you know, he um works for one gang and then Leo when he says, loses- I I could change I in the beginning, I could trade body blows with anybody in this town. Except you, Tom. Except you, Tom. But Tom, but Tom is like, yeah, I don't want to. Like, that's not my. That's not my place. It's not my place. <laughs> yeah, and Tom moves from one alliance to another alliance in here, and there's mm-hmm. that sequence where Tom is sitting in on Leo, the Irish mob, talking to you know the police commissioner and the mayor. And like influencing like the police commission and the mayor. And then later on when his alliance moves towards the Italians, it's like the exact same scene mirrored. You know what I mean? Symmetrically the same. Yeah. Exactly the same. And again, like the the symmetry thing. Uh, Me and Tom got the old uh, proverbial chat to chew or proverbial fat to chew if you go. Mm -hmm. Dangle. That's the phrase. Dangle. Dangle. Yeah. Yeah. Dangle. And dangle. So um, if you prefer, we dangle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, it's so good. Um, but again, like that sequence of power and where Tom fits within it, symmetrical. The love triangle between Leo, Tom, Verna, Bernie, Mink, Dane, symmetrical. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, everyone except for Tom here is completely self-serving while tom is serving to the system you know and and yeah. what we're calling like the ecosystem like the natural mm-hmm. order of things and at the end of the day you know by the time that the dane is killed and uh what's his name is is killed bernie is killed and leo is back with tom and polito has been put into his place Tom is just going about his day as normal. It's back to Tom and Leo. It's the Tom and Leo show. You know, they both lose the girl. Was the girl important to begin with? Or was the girl just there as this like self-serving 
like beard for lack of better terms for both of them, you know? Well, it's, and it's, it's like, and I'm going to dip into this right now. I wanted to touch on it. How many females in this movie have lines? I can only think of two. Yeah. There's only two that I can think of also. The, um, Casper's wife yelling. Yeah. The old in, Italian, in Italian lady. Yeah. yeah. I love her. And obviously, Verna, Marsha Gay Harden, marry me when you look like that, please. Marry yes, me in please. that form, please. Mm-hmm. Out of those two women, I literally don't think... Oh, sorry. Um, Francis, Francis McDermott has a quick little thing with um, mm. Tom. But mm. outside, like, I mean, but her character is nothing. It's literally like a three-line character, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Women, this movie, the women are second-rate citizens. They're shmatas in this fucking movie. I think they're unnecessary because these guys don't care about them. Because the guys don't care. They, oh, they're just there. They're like, no, no, we're just trying to. Because ultimately, even Tom, who gets to fuck bombshell, bombshell Verna, is mm-hmm. like, no, I don't give a fuck. Like, I'm, and he's sitting in bed. He's stewing over. Hmm. And he's literally stewing. How can mm-hmm. I help Leo? <laughs> After Ned. Yeah. He's like, yeah. how can I help Leo? <laughs> yeah. And then at the funeral, when she dangles, they're like, eh, it is what it is. At least we yeah, got each other, pal. Yeah. And he goes, ah, I guess we're, he goes, Leo's like, I guess we're walking. He's like, what the fuck? He's like, that's got to be like an eight mile walk. Mm-hmm. Not, that's, that's, not, that's not a 45 minute walk. That's like a fucking six hour walk. Yeah. But he's got his buddy. Like, yeah. I guess it's a long time for us to fucking get caught up here. Yeah. We can hold hands and walk and tell me what it was like while you were working for the Italians. You know, it's. It's um, crazy. I, I had never thought of the homosexual angle until I, I watched, um, you know, I, I have the, the watch? Blu-ray. Well, I had the Blu-ray and oh. I was watching the bonus features before and I was like, oh, Barry Sonnenfeld's got, you know, a thing. And mm-hmm. Sonnenfeld's so interesting. Like, he's got this great quote on the 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 bonus features where he's like, um, you never pan panning is boring i never let the cohen brothers pan everything is just like a whip you know what i mean um i love him to pieces for that and i think he only this is the last cohen brothers movie he dp'd um Mm -hmm. he did blood simple raising arizona and this and kind of gave the cohen brothers that style and by the time they were doing hudsucker proxy and barton fink they had the guy who was doing um the Raimi movies and eventually Raimi started working with Sonnenfeld and you know, it all comes full circle, but yeah. like that whole crew is just so visually um, like kinetic, like the energy is being used. Yeah. And, and it's uh, there's one shot in blood simple where it's the most Raimi shot ever. And they mm-hmm. never, I, I, sorry, not they never, I can't recall the Coen's doing this again. It is, uh, who's on the porch? Somebody's on the porch, and they oh, it's I think it's after McDermott has the fight with uh the bad guy from Commando. What's that guy's mm-hmm. name? And taxi, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck, the guy is awesome. Um, and she breaks his finger, and the camera comes from the street, and there's fall leaves falling, and it the camera zooms super Raimi fat evil dead fashion and it Quick. comes right to the really fast to the front door and and with the leaves falling too which is super halloweeny evil mm-hmm. daddy it's like oh god that's clearly like was sam raimi on set that day and he mm-hmm. like <laughs> i never i 
I can't remember you guys ever doing anything remotely like that. <laughs> well, I mean, think of like that sequence where, you know, Nick Cage's character steals the huggies from that like Seven mm-hmm. Eleven convenience yeah, yeah. mart and the cameras yeah. from outside and it like it moves into the car and it mm. does the same thing. It like whips so quick. And then there's some sequences in this where like, there's one in particular where like Polito's so red in the face and he like grabs his fucking desk real stern mm. and like turns his head and the camera yeah. just whips right into his face. Oh, uh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's so reminiscent of, of, you know, those first couple of evil dead movies and dark man and what Raimi mm. kind of became like, that's his shot. Um, and it is anything but boring. And Sonnenfeld's funny. He's like, you know, I'm an only child of, uh, you know, a middle-class Jewish family. So when you see this stuff in the early work that I did, it's definitely me being like, hey, look, I'm here. I'm here now. Look, you know I'm here. Like, it's me being like, I'm <laughs> yeah. not in front of the camera, but you can tell it's me. Look at me. It's very, like, you know, me, 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 kind of selfish cinematography. But um, you were talking about like Raimi being on set, like Raimi's in this movie and it's awesome. Like there's a sequence where all the cops in this are so funny. They're like bumbling idiots and they all like love Tom. And, um, Hey, they're don't, like, don't worry about me, Tom. I'm just a police chief here, but, oh, why, why are we doing this? To- yeah. <laughs> when the raid, when the first raid is happening, he's like, Hey Tom, don't mind me. I'm just a police chief, but. And, and him, because even even as the head of the police is like, you know, I, I know my place. I'm way lower. Yeah, I'm just a cop here. I'm not one of the gangsters, you know? Yeah. It's fucking great. They all love them. But when they uh they throw that bomb into one of Leo's like Irish pubs or clubs, mm-hmm. great yeah. explosion. Yeah, yeah. Such a sick explosion. And then they're all like, All right, who's ever in there? Come out with your fucking hands up. And then the guy's he has waving the white flag, literal white flag. Yeah, yeah. And, and Sam Raimi just comes out with like two fucking Colt 45s and yeah. just shoots the guy in the head. And all the police start cheering for Sam Raimi. And he looks at them like, huh? huh? And they're like, yeah. And he's like, oh, yeah, you're right. I did make the right move. And then he gets mowed the fuck down. <laughs> yeah. And then he gets mowed down. Yeah. It's yeah. great. Um, I mean, one thing I the kind of like the only real last thing I. I, I really want to talk about and like mentioned before I forget is, um, you know, I was saying I kind of like the Coens when they balance that zany comedy with the self-seriousness of like working within the genre trappings. And this movie, not very funny, but there are a couple moments. One of them, when that little kid steals the toupee off the, the dead guy. I actually disagree. I think there's a, I think there's a heavy, but it's, it's not. This is a, this is a thing. As subtle as Fargo is, I know this is even more subtle than Fargo. Agreed, agreed. <laughs> the, and then when they got by the time they got to Fargo, they go, okay, we're gonna like crank it up a little more with this just mm-hmm. obviousness of our comedy, even yes. though the score and the tone is gonna say you tell you this isn't comedy. There's a lot of comedy. I agree, and I think that there's a lot of comedy in this Fargo and and uh, those movies are just zanier in general. Yes, you yeah. know. Um, well, but, even the performances are, um, you know, William H. Macy in Fargo is clearly like, he's really leaning. He's great, but he's leaning oh, he's into the, like, like yeah. I'm a doofus, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. The, the accents, 
<laughs> I know they're they're yeah. so goofy. They're so yeah. goofy. The sequence where those assassins come into Albert Finney's house, like his mansion when he's sleeping, mm-hmm. and they kill the guy downstairs and an artist cig- with a Thompson dude, this cigarette falls onto the newspaper and it, he doesn't mm-hmm. hear the assassins. He sees the smoke and he hides under the bed and yeah. shoots the guy in the foot and then steals the Tommy gun and runs out. And yeah. one shout out to whoever uh, Albert Finney's stunt double was because like, <laughs> like it looks like him. It, it looks like him, but it's so clearly not him where yeah, it's yeah. like, I don't care. Like, I know this is a movie, but it's definitely like this old dude did not just jump he's out. Moving that fucking- well, too far too fluidly. That's the thing is he's, he did, they didn't like, okay, make it look like you're an old man doing it. They're like, no, no, just did it. <laughs> jump out a window. Yeah. Like yeah. a fucking athlete. I love that. Yeah. I love like, and the, again, like this is the stuff that I was cackling at that in the chair bit that we talked about before. But him getting to the ground and mowing that guy down with the Tommy gun and the just sheer squibs and violence and yeah. blood. And it just seven of them on the one on the one guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and even as he's dying <laughs> into yeah, the ceiling. As, and he yeah, shoots yeah. his foot. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. And he's shooting himself. And it's just like he puts like. 2000 rounds into this human mm-hmm. like literally two like those guns shot 700 rounds a minute that's like what a tommy gun was capable of shooting okay yeah. um and that's like a solid two minutes of just like paul verhoven robocop style squibs yeah out of nowhere where it's just like oh my god it's still going it's still going now this guy's shooting himself the house is on fire and Danny boy is playing and Albert Finney's walking down the road, like an action movie star in this fucking robe and mows down the car. The car explodes and basically gets to do is like hasta la vista. I'll be back where he takes his cigar out and like nods to the camera. Yeah. I was fucking dying, dude. That shit really cracked me up. You know, that's, there is humor in this movie. It's just not as blatant. And it's a lot of like, can you believe we're actually able to do this stuff? You know? Oh, this movie, I don't even like for me, the humor is just the tiny little things that it's not even that as obvious as you're describing, like the cartoony parts. It's the, the, it's, but it's a dialogue. It's a script that if you, you need to literally watch it 14 times to start picking up on when they're being really funny. Mm hmm. I'm not advising to watch it 14 times. I'm just I telling will. you as somebody who has seen this movie, you know, I don't know, 35, 50 times, whatever the, whatever the fucking mm-hmm. counts at now. It's, I watched, I was just really, my first few watches, man, it's just cool. And then now when I see it, like, holy shit, like I'm just dying of laughter, like how <laughs> the delivery, <laughs> and, and it's the line delivery that they mastered later with Fargo. Sure. Uh, to make it more digestible for the average viewing public. Oh yeah. Speaking of which, okay. So we're getting we're get let's because we're we're getting to the end here. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So before we get into our wrecks, really quick, not wrecks, but we, we're going to talk about. Well, I have I have one thing to talk about. You have a thing to talk about. My thing mm. is really quick. Hmm. Where does this rank for you 
for the best movies of the 90s that aren't often talked about as the best movies of the 90s. So it's there's the obvious ones. Pulp Fiction, Goodfellas. Yeah, yeah, right? Matrix, Fight Club. Yeah, 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 Matrix, right? Fight Club, whatever. I'm not saying that those are all on my list, but those are just are the embraced ones. Mm-hmm. So for me, there are two films that are perfection, and it's, like I say, arguably the best, but it's as good as those auteurs have at okay. anything else they've released. Miller's Crossing came out in 1990, which we're going to get to, yes. which is wild, to start the decade. And Thin Red Line, holy mm. shit, is a perfect movie. Even though, yes, I know that people in the film community are like, you know, it's a great movie. It is not talked about among the Goodfellas, the Pulp Fictions, the, you know, like we just said, the Fight Clubs or whatever, Matrix of the 90s. Sure. So do you have anything in the 90s that you're like, besides this? Even though, again, I'm not saying it's an underrated gem. I'm not yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. claiming it, but but like, but it is a truly wonderful, borderline perfect film mm-hmm. that doesn't get discussed in the. It's not heralded. Yeah, it's not in the conversation with yeah. the um, the pulp fictions of the world and the Fight mm. Clubs of the world, and you know anything along those lines. Even like the Rush. It never reached the zeitgeist. Yeah, it never hit there. It never hit there. Because um, the, because for one, the Coen brothers had arrived, but the world hadn't realized they arrived. Uh, yeah. I forget if it was mentioned off mic or on when we are recording that even fucking Ebert, what did he give this fucking movie? Three and a half. Three and a half. Three. Oh, three. Ebert yeah, three. Gave Miller's Crossing fucking three. Get the fuck out of here with that. I said this to you. I'll say it on. I don't care. I'm glad you died of cancer. I wish you could cancer again. <laughs> Fuck, you gave you a three stars. What are you doing? You set cinema back. You set cinema back four years by doing that horse shit. Yeah, yeah. What are you talking about? Like, how could you not recognize in 1990 what you were getting gifted by this movie? And mm-hmm. that's the same thing. Like, so I think Thin Red Line, because I'm like, wow. Sure. Thin Red Line. I don't love Thin Red Line, meaning... um. I can't watch it all the time like this. I can't rewatch it. I don't have a poster, Thin Red Line, whatever. But, there, but I don't Thin have Red the- Line was much like this, where there were other gangster movies that year. Thin Red Line was overshadowed by the Saving Private Ryan. Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a couple movies that I think belong in that conversation that aren't brought into that conversation. Um, Abel Ferreira's Bad Lieutenant is one of those that I think belongs mm-hmm. in that conversation. Um. Before we'll never, sunrise, we'll never, we'll never do an episode on that. Yeah, right. I'm like <laughs> dying to do any anything. Abel Ferreira, he is like legitimately one of like my dudes. You know, um, well, I'm just saying. But Bad Lieutenant is like the <laughs> DJ oh, cinema. It's movie. the movie that's like the reason we made this podcast. Is to actually hit, hit him with it because you haven't. You've been slacking this episode. Hit him with the what is DJ cinema? What is this podcast all about, my man? Oh, I've already hit them with what D Gen Cinema is all about. You hit it once. You hit it with yeah, once. So, yeah, I thought you were like you were gonna be. <laughs> I, I, I'm ready. I, I'm I'm here with you, a degenerate, to analyze films through the lens of vices, addictions, flaws, and the ones that we share with dysfunctional characters within these films as fucked up movie lovers to discuss them centered around cinematic figures driven by addiction, obsession, and compulsions, which often veer into self-loathing. Um, which is you just described the movie Bad Lieutenant. 
I yeah, know. bad lieutenant's definitely up there. So I think Days and Confused overshadows before sunrise the better Linklater movie. Ooh, you know what? I just saw something rank and and they I saw it was the ranking of Richard Link. That's what it was. It was I think paste. Okay. Another paste or because I follow paste and okay. um re, what's that rejects movie reject yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, film, yeah. Film cinema rejects, rejects or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah film yeah. rejects, whatever. I those are like two of the things I follow on Twitter, film things I follow on Twitter. And I, I'm almost certain it was paste. They did the definitive ranking of Richard Link later movies in before sunrise was seven and i'm yeah, like crazy. what are you talking about yeah what you, like, it's the most romantic movie like, of the past 40 years like, yeah holy shit what are you talking about before yeah. sunrise is his seventh best that's absolutely fucking insane you're right that's a great call before sunrise yeah. wonderful call yeah, yeah, yeah just yeah. trying to think like in context of the yes, other no, things we're not saying the best we're just saying the, should why should is be in that conversation spoken among yeah 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 and same thing like bad lieutenant everyone's like oh reservoir dogs and pulp fiction like subverted yeah. you know what could be released in a mainstream <laughs> movie theater and it's like bad lieutenant got a wide release dude like that movie was out there dude, um, i'm telling you it was rated x not nc-17 it was rated x yeah probably i, uh, I also think it. simple plan it's like a sam raimi movie that uh, came out in like the mid nineties. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think yeah. that's like you know you think of like shout out Gar- to Paxson and Gary Oldman. Who I'm not Gary Oldman. I'm sorry. No. Um, bleh, oh, Billy Bob. Wrong. Yeah, Billy Bob Thornton. Yeah, um, yeah, and you know you think of Billy Bob as like fucking Sling Blade, Armageddon. Like you know he was a nineties guy, and it's like yeah, but like Simple Plan's the best Billy Bob Thornton performance <laughs> from that era. Oh man, Sling Blade, the first 20 minutes and the last 20 minutes of that movie are perfection. But yeah. the middle is like a hokey, um, almost like uh, R rated Forrest Gumpy fucking yeah, totally. romp. Yeah. It's goofy with the kid and everything. But that yeah. first 20, like when he's in the psych ward, and then when he kills Yoakum, and then he's back in the psych ward. And he tells uh, who's the guy from Grifters that one JT Walsh. And mm-hmm. He tells off JT Walsh's character, who is all time performance. JT Walsh underrated. He's up. He's under. He's up there with uh, M. Emmett Walsh. Totally. That we don't herald them enough. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Um. Great poll. Great poll with the uh, Before Sunrise, though, especially. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Before sunrise the, that the, all those movies just kind of crushed. So things. do you want to get into before we, cause yeah, well, we're... I, I mean, I was going to say before we started, we were talking about like, you know, what movies came out in 1990. And I said, this is actually not my what movies. Th- what, what, not what just good what movies, movies though. What good yeah. movies. Yeah. And I said, this is actually my third favorite mob movie. From the year of 1990. So there are three (laughs) five-star mafia movies from this year. And this is my least favorite of the three, but they're all five-star movies. Can you guess what the other two are? Easy. Grifters, Darkman, and uh, this. Mafia. Mafia movies. Yeah, Grifters. uh, That's the... 
they all have mafia undertones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I do love Dark Man. I, I think you should revisit Dark Man. I think that's like Sam Raimi being like, wow. I did Sam- recently. I did recently revisit it, and it was too Raimi for me, and I had to turn it off. I'm like, I'm like, I, you know what? I like this movie when I was young. It's mm-hmm. too. It's cartoon schlocky yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> how do you feel about the quick and the dead um i do no, not but, like it. <laughs> i like how lance hendrickson rides a horse and does a backflip and lands in a split mm-hmm. and then shoots a gun and i'm a psychopath who watched the movie with director's commentary and Raimi was like yeah lance hendrickson really learned how to do that he thought it was cool that he was in a cowboy movie so he learned how to do a backflip off a horse and do a split and shot his gun so i let him do it in the movie and i was like oh lance hendrickson you dirty dirty freak um no r- realistically what do you think the other two mafia movies i like more than miller's crossing uh, well the obvious one is goodfellas yes um i'm drawing a blank after that though you are gonna say brandon you dumb i can't believe I'm i didn't guess this Oh, we'll say it. King of New York. Oh, yeah, yeah, because I don't like oh. King of New York. <laughs> so that's, oh. that's why I drew a blank on it. <laughs> what are the tampons for? The bullet holes. Punta. <laughs> yeah, I love that movie so much. So, so much. Um, might be Ferreira's best movie in terms of like, I can't believe someone gave this guy actual money to make a movie. Like, you know, he doesn't really get that luxury too much. There are some shots in that film where you're like, that's up there kind of shit where, you know, that, that very famous shot where Christopher Walken's looking out at the city and it's framed against the, the mirrored window glass. And you're like, how did a heroin addict get that shot? You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. Because Ferrero was a psycho back then. And uh, yeah. yeah. Our King, Zoe, where, what's her name? Phase. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She was writing that movie. Um, yeah. I, I really, really loved that fucking movie. But um, yeah, there were actually a bunch of really big mafia movies from this year. Goodfellas, King of New York, Miller's Crossing, Godfather 3, and My Blue Heaven. Um I think this is a pretty good year. You were like, what a lousy year. And there's a lot of movies on here that like, I fucking adore. I know. Um, I don't know. Have you seen the cook, the thief, the wife and his lover? Yeah, I did it under like requisite. I have to watch this. Um, viewing like a um, homework five, movie? five, eight years. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't like it, huh? No, no, no. I mean, I just, I didn't walk away like I don't like that movie, but I also didn't walk away being like, oh, this is the masterpiece that everyone heralded it as. I came I came to that movie late, like after the hype. Oh, I did. I saw like, it like 2015 or 16. Same, same. Yeah. And it was like one of those like, I wonder what this is. It was like randomly on like Netflix streaming back in the day. And I, I turned it on. I definitely saw it after um, Who's the Actress. Helen Mirren. Why am I drawing a blank? No. Um, the chick from L, the Verhoeven's chick. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I know exactly. Um, French chick, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Not Leo Sergio. I saw it after she won her Academy Award. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, I know Helen Mirren. Oh, yeah, like Isabel, Isabel Hubert. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I love that movie. Um, Total Recall, uh, blockbuster. Like they don't make they don't make them like them anymore, kids. You know, if I want to sound like an old boomer, but like Total Recall is the end of an era. Well, for, to be to be fair, they never made them like that. <laughs> they never <laughs> made them like that. Fifty million or whatever the budget then for inflation. Then it was an insane budget with an ins- they 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 made insane movies that were popular i.e robocop Mm -hmm. but this was on another level when arnie Mm -hmm. was the biggest star in the universe Uh uh-huh yeah and they let a sex obsessed dutchman take the wheel yeah and they made it and they had graphic and fucked up and non-linear like it didn't make sense It's a fucking wonderful movie. Sharon Stone is so hot in that movie too. She's so hot. That might be her hottest, the hottest she's ever looked on film. I agree. Yeah, Paulie Verhoeven really knew how to how to get it out of Sharon Stone between that yeah. and uh, Basic <laughs> Instinct. You know, yeah. but she's even hotter. She even is hotter in Total Re- not in Total Recall than she is in Basic Instinct. Oh, 100 percent. It's those um like what eighties uh, workout clothes thought were going to be in the future kind of look, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like that sequence where she fights Arnold and does the, like the, well, and rap- she just has a, like the, my fate, my, my Sharon Stone looks the hottest, not her favorite performance are in order. Mm-hmm. Um, Total recall mm-hmm. action Jackson. Yeah. Okay. And then okay. basic instinct. Yeah, I think I would swap Action Jackson for Basic Instinct, but I agree. I agree. Oh, you're an Action Jackson guy? Yeah, yeah, I agree. We never talked about this. No. But she's so beautiful. Like, she's just so strikingly beautiful in that movie. Yeah, I agree. Um, fun, fun year, very, very fun movie. Decent Action year Jackson. for horror with a couple that I really like. Um, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, even though it was filmed in 86, was released yeah. in 1990. Yeah. Exorcist 3, William Blatty's Exorcist 3, a movie I adore. Mm-hmm. I love how they let George C. Scott turn into a human basset hound, basically, and just grumble his way. Yeah, through. and uh, why am I drawing a blank? The guy who does the voice of Chucky. Brad Dorf. Brad Dorf. Yeah, he just yeah. goes off in that movie. He goes off so hard in that movie. Yeah. Um, and Jacob's Ladder, another kind of like. Yeah, yeah, this is a you're great saying, horror movie. You're just, saying, you're just saying movies that came out. You're not saying good movies. No, that's a good also, movie, man. Saying Jacob's Ladder is a bad movie is fucking crazy. Like, you sound like a cynical okay, guy. Okay, 1990 also gave us Joe versus the Volcano. Yeah. Bird on a Wire. Yeah. <laughs> and Air America with um, RDJ and Emil Gibson. Yeah, like, you know, every year gives you bad movies. Like, if you look at, like, whatever the big movies were that year, it's like, yeah, that wasn't so good. That wasn't so good. But it's also, like, how did Total Recall and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles make the top 10 that year? Okay, you know what if, I you mean? Take, if you take the best 15 movies in 1990 and put it against another put it another year of the best 15 movies, 1990 is going to look stupid. You think so? Well, it's just because yours are so blown away by fucking the Miller's Crossing and the Goodfellas and whatever. Yeah, those are like three masterpieces. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, you I'm, can not, argue. I'm not a fan of it. Okay, let's get because we're we're approaching two hours here. So let's, and let's Gremlins to two, the new batch. Yeah, cause suck. Honestly, Grem, that that revisionist history of let's reappraise Gremlins two as a masterpiece. Get the fuck out! It is a camp romp. It is a camp. 
fun as shit. What it's supposed to be, dude. But they're literally talking about it like, oh, this is what this did for, for, you know, how we digest media and everything. No, no, fuck. No, you just got a lot of monsters. You just got puppet city. Like the goofy monsters and Phoebe Cates' face is perfect. Okay. That's fine. If that's what you're going to say, then I'll accept that. I just love, um, love, love silly monsters. All right. So recommendations, yeah, not necessarily it. what we would recommend if you like Miller's Crossing, but like a, almost like a pairing, like it would go with it, like yes. a fine wine yeah, or cheese. Yeah, that's, that's a good way to, that's a very good way to phrase it. Thank you. Thank um, you. My first one is, and I'm, I think I have mentioned this movie. I not. I know I have mentioned it on the podcast before, but in the unreleased episodes, it might have even been a wreck. But it, whatever. Um, Peter Bogdanovich's Saint Jack. Oh wow! Yeah, because it is about a hard drinking man that runs a town in Singapore in the seventies, played by uh, Ben Gazzara. Mm-hmm. A never better Ben Gazzara. Never All time great. Great performance, Ben Gazzara, who is an alcoholic, and everywhere he goes, he's grabbing a drink and just drinking and solving everybody's problems and making the town run smoothly. Mm. And that is my pairing with Miller's Crossing, obviously, because he's very akin to Burns' Tom in this. Oh, 100%. Tonally, tonally, the movies are like, you can't, whatever, and even... Uh, and this is more of a gorilla shot movie that he is one of the few actors in the movie, him and that British dude. Fuck. I got to Google it. Um, anyway, him and the British dude who is very well known. And then the rest of them are just non-actors. This is the opposite of Miller's Crossing where everyone is very, is a world-class actor. Anybody who has any line in this. Oh, but I mean like that's how Bogdanovich rolled. Like he, yeah was a renegade when it came to, you know, filmmaking. And Altman-esque, and- like, surround mm-hmm. them by, uh, surround them with real-life characters and it will bring a real-life verisimilitude to not just the role, but the picture. We're going to use that term. And I mean, how's the way that you say it, where you're like, specificity, like, breeds... Um, universality. Universality. That's something yeah. you could really say about you know, the films of the Coen brothers, specifically Miller's crossing where yes, these people talk like they belong in this fucking world. And it makes you mm-hmm. believe them. Even if you don't understand what the fuck with the slang jargon, is. you're like, what is happening? I don't know this, the slang and whatever. And yeah. it's so funny. Cause I didn't read like Dashiell Hammett Chandler until later. Mm-hmm. And now that I do, I'm like, Oh shit. That like the whole, like the dangle and the, uh, uh let it drift. All the, uh, it's like, that's, I don't, but I always laugh to myself. Did people even talk like this? Or that's just how they wrote people ever talk like this. Was this even in, in the vernacular? I know they didn't day to day talk like this, but did anybody ever say these phrases? Well, that was just <laughs> what no they idea. wrote characters back then. I don't know the answer. Yeah. I have no Who am I going to ask? I don't know. A great, great grandpa. And they probably will have no idea what the hell they you're talking no, about. They have no remembrance. So like, I don't know how I, t- like, I just spoke. They're like, they didn't yeah. write it down. They weren't, yeah. you know. Yeah. They just shit their pants while you ask them that question. Like, you know, they're that But even if their brains were sharp enough, they still wouldn't remember. No fucking clue. No fucking clue. Um, The theme of a law, uh, uh, what's it called? A kind of um, 
an outlaw, a lone outlaw mm-hmm. working on one side of the outlaw criminal underbelly and then transitioning to another criminal underbelly and then playing them both against each other. Uh, filmmaker, both you and I have talked very fondly about on and off the podcast is Walter right Hill. Now. Yeah, um, Walter Hill, sorry. I knew where this yeah, is going. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. But we're both going to the same place. Um, yeah, yeah. 1996's Last Man Standing, starring Bruce Willis, Mr. Christopher Walken, and, uh, and fucking Bruce Dern. Bruce Dern. Speaking yeah. of underrated 90s movies, it might be the cream of the crop of underrated 90s movies. I haven't revisited it in so long because I remember it so fondly. I'm like scared to. Oh, I've seen this movie more and I've seen Miller's Crossing. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I, Dude, I love when I was, movie. when I was, uh, when I was a young teenager, they, they changed the thing at the movie store near me that they wouldn't let me rent an R rated movie unless my parents were there. Even though my parents went to them, they said, Hey, let him rent R rated movies. They go, we're legally not allowed to. What? So there was a time where I was only allowed to rent what they were calling 14A. Oh, is that the rating in Canada? Yeah, this is in Canada, I guess. And and so wow. it's and so I was able to rent this movie when I was a teenager and they wouldn't let me rent R-rated movies. And I was like, "Okay, we'll see how this goes." And I only rented it because it was I was allowed to rent it. Interesting. And it blew my fucking mind away and ever since i've been telling anybody who will listen hey this movie fucking rocks and they're like and i showed it to a film geek friend once last man standing and he was like oh it's stupid it's just yo jimbo or whatever like remade i'm like yeah that's like yeah but in a crazy grimy genre way that also it takes place in the 20s but or whatever that is the 10s maybe no, it's and, Prohibition era Chicago. Yeah, okay, it's Prohibition era. That's right. Yeah, and and it's, it takes place. Well, it's not in Chicago. It's in the. That's the gangsters are from Chicago, but they're oh, the gangsters they're are Texas. from Chicago. They're, yeah, yeah, they're yeah. In yeah. Texas, but they're in Texas, and um, the. But they like the gunplay and everything is gung fu, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is like no one was doing that in 1996 in American movies. No, and no, and Bruce Willis. Everybody chews up every scene, but Bruce Willis is his all-time noir-ish. It's not his all-time best performance, but his he's never chewed scenery like that as a lead. He did it no. later when he had bit parts or whatever, but he never did that as a lead. And you get a lot of um, kind of character actors before they peaked, like um, what's his name from The Sopranos? Is yeah. Michael Imperioli. Imperioli. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another guy who like I just like adore, but no, it's it's again, if you want to see a movie with kind of the same plot, but done executed completely if, differently, if you, last man yeah, standing. If you like Miller's Crossing, but you thought it didn't have enough guns, Last, last man, man Standing is your movie. Yeah, yeah. If you liked Miller's Crossing, but you thought it talked too much, Last Man Standing is your movie. Yeah, yeah and not enough yeah. brooding. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was, I, I have one that's, I have four movies that are, Last Man Standing was one I was going to say. And I have four movies that are, they are just exactly this movie, but I'm not going to mention this one. I'll save it to the last. You don't going to go to, mm. and you will not see this coming. Mm. I, we can, we can, you can either pick Brother, the movie 2000, 
or outrage beat Takashi's outrage. Oh, wow. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do know what you're talking about. And what is it about? The Yakuza, two feuding Yakuza families who were just taking each other out and going into it. It's not super noir-y. There is violent humor. And there are... The, everybody is just what they're driven by isn't like I need to be alive is my family needs to survive. Mm-hmm. And that's what the and and that's what beats character who he directed it. And I believe wrote it. Um, Takashi Kitano. Yeah. Yeah. Who yeah. they call who in, in Japan, they call him beat. So I just love call. I just love that. I, I was like, it was fucking the illest name. Oh, really? And, um, I had no idea. Yeah. That's what they called him. Oh, they made a sequel that? to this movie too. You they know. made three. They made three movies. Oh, really? All three are great. All three are very good. Very, very good. Yeah, that's and awesome. He dies in the third one. Oh, um, does he? Yeah, yeah. This came and out of that uh, that sweet spot of like Magnet releasing was the mm-hmm. name of the company back in the day, where like they were releasing like genre and international films, and it was kind of like a24 before a24 they were kind of like a boutique like label you know um so i was like eating movies like this and man from nowhere and uh oh man i forgot the name of the other one um i saw the devil and like just like korean and japanese just like hard which if you ask me I saw the devil is pound for pound the best korean movie out of the 2010s okay Really? I mean, okay. There was a movie there that won like best picture. Or whatever. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's, later, I said okay. Like, like that's what I'm saying. Like Bong Joon Ho and and yeah. um, what's his name? Park Sean Wook. Like, there's a lot of really good Korean movies. But I see the argument. Like the argument can be made. Like I'm not going to dismiss someone for having. I'm that just saying opinion. that's how much I love that. But um, but that's mm-hmm. Korean and beat is Japanese. And he's a guy behind Violent Cop. If you're listening to this and you know mm-hmm. that fucking shit, um, mm-hmm. yeah. But yeah, that's so like out outrage. But brother, you know that with Omar Epps, yeah, which is cheesy, but it's the American version and it's far more digestible. And it's mm. actually what I seen before I saw the outrage movies. Okay, because it's mostly in English, but like yeah. Some Jap like some Japanese. Not that I cared about never ever cared about subtitles. It just mean but it was just that was on TV first. So I like I like being able to put things on before bed and it's tough with uh foreign films for me because I, I don't never watch I never watch a foreign film unless I'm sitting down to watch the entire movie. Yeah. Same. Yeah. yeah. That's that's the only detriment. Otherwise I'm never objecting to I subtitles. don't give a fuck. But yeah, when I'm mm-hmm. when I'm literally trying to zone out. And I, when I put movies to zone out to fall asleep, I almost exclusively put on movies I've seen before so that I can even check my phone or whatever. Check, mm-hmm. When I don't check my phone, I check my letterbox just to zone mm-hmm. me out. Mm-hmm. That's what puts me to sleep. Checking letterbox and putting a movie that I know that's a chilled movie. Right this week, the movie is has been Sorcerer. Oh, that's a crazy not movie. Not because of Freakin's death, just, just because I was like, I haven't seen Sorcerer in a long time, and it's better than I remember. And I remember it being great. <laughs> the explosions in Sorcerer, I don't understand how they shot those. Like, specifically the well, the oil well exploding. Yeah. yeah. Th- that has to be a real oil well on fire and a helicopter going around it. 
because it's uh, just killed Central Americans to make it happen. I guess I don't it, know. It's so crazy. Like between that and the bridge scene, I just don't know how they did that. Mm. And Sorcerer makes me grab my chair or like my armrests in a way mm. that very few films do in terms of like I am legitimately tense even though I've seen that movie so many times we'll move on we'll move on keep it moving but I will say quickly Sorcerer is one of those I know the first half is I'm old so what I'm trying to say is I know the first half is boring I don't find it vo- boring I find it truly riveting truly riveting I and it's boring. And I know if if I showed it to somebody who wasn't a movie person, they'd be like, okay, can we just watch something else? If you explain the plot to Sorcerer to someone and then the first like 20 minutes are like in Israel and have to do with like the the Palestinian Liberation yeah. Army, they're like, what is happening? And then there's like a French hitman. And nobody and, explains anything. Yeah. And you're just like, no, no, don't there's worry. Not like a All these over. There's no voiceover like, and that's why I knew I needed to go to Central. Like, there's nothing you just need. Like, what, how no. they explain it is um, Schneider's character. <laughs> yeah. They just like, yeah. that's the most exposition we're going to give you. Yeah, exactly. That's like how we're going to get down here. And you just realize yeah. like, oh, these guys suck. Like, all these people yeah. suck. That's why that's important. But I mean, the Exorcist did that too. Like, with the Iraq scene in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. You're like, what the fuck is this? I thought this movie was about a possessed girl. And then it's like 15 minutes in Iraq with Max uh Max Found yeah. Sidow. Yeah, and it's then, not it's not 90 seconds. <laughs> it's not 90 seconds. No, it's yeah, a yeah, while. Yeah. Like you're in Iraq yeah. in the beginning of the Exorcist. Um and then it's like 45 minutes of like a mom being really worried about her kid. It's sick. I, yeah. I love freaking for all of that, dude. Yeah, she's not fully possessed until like minute 55 or whatever. <laughs> like meaning like everybody knows she's possessed. I was going yeah. to say. And, and people swear they're like, you got to see the director's cut, the version uh, you've never seen. And I'm like, stay away from that because like 30 minutes in, they do the spider walk, you know, when she's walking down the stairs. Yeah. And yeah. that's at the party where she pisses her pants. Like, Oh really? Yeah. And I think it oh. totally ruins the movie for me because I really like yeah. thinking that this girl might just be have fucking crazy. Yeah, yeah. Just be freaking out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just freaking out because they sprinkle in the, like, you know, the dad's a dirt bag, the mom's sleeping with this alcoholic director. Like they sprinkle in all these things where it's like, this girl mm. might just be freaking out and pissing her bed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but then the director's cuts like, no, she spider walks and like curses, you know? Um, so yeah, freaking the best RIP. Um, I love when you're able to displace a story and get something completely different out of it, despite having the same arcs essentially and the same characters like with this, uh, kind of lone outlaw working for one gang. There's another gang and a power grab and he goes to the other gang and he pits the two gangs against each other. So for my second recommendation, I'm recommending Sergio Leone's Fistful of Dollars. Oh, nice. No, I actually really like it. I thought you were going to go with what I'm going to say next. I thought I was like, wait, you're not going to do this again. No, really nice. 
I have a bit. I, this is a bit. All of my wrecks are a bit. And I started feeling like deep shame for not having like a backup to the bit. And now I have to mm-hmm. be like committed to this fucking bit. <laughs> um, and I feel kind of bad about it. So I apologize. But I promise it'll be worth it in the end. Um, yeah, Fistful of Dollars, the first big spaghetti western with Clint Eastwood, uh, directed by Sergio Leone, uh, the beginning of the kind of unrelated man with no name trilogy that culminated with uh good the band the ugly probably the best of all of them fistful of dollars is a breezy 90 minute movie though where a lone gunman walks into a mexican border town finds a gang of bandits trying to go after the town finds another gang of bandits going after those bandits and then pits them both against each other so he can, you know, walk out safely, much like Gabriel Byrne's character does in Miller's Crossing. Some would say it's the same movie, you know. So, yeah, I really like that movie. Cribs. It's cribs from it, from sure, for sure, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. What what wreck do you have? You got one more? Yeah, well, I got one more. That is, um, I had four movies that Last Man Standing was one of them, which are okay. basically, um which are this movie remade. There's one that I've talked about in a unreleased episode of the podcast. I'm not going to even mention a movie now. So it's a black drugstore cowboy. (laughs) Well, it's a black hood movie. That is Miller's crossing, um, which I wanted to say, but I have discussed it, but I'm going to bring up a movie that we oddly have never discussed, Mm. but is this movie exactly? Mm. It came out in, 2006 either five or six six i think and it launched the career of a mega director do you know what movie it is no clue brick oh i love that movie i love brick me too me and too. uh i don't know what else to say except that it's miller's crossing in high school i don't know <laughs> um <laughs> but in a very well like it's in a, in a re of course it's not exactly it's just he's taking from uh, so i've saw brick i had brick when i had very few movies and i cool. watched the director's commentary many times cool in in the in the 2000s in the late, in the mid late 2000s and he was like, yeah, I just read a ton of Hammett and mm-hmm. Chandler. Yeah. And that's how I came up with this. And it's like, and when out now that I've read those and I used to, and I even made a note then because I was, you know, I read pretty often. I went on and off in my life though, times where I used to read all the time that I don't read mm-hmm. for like a year or so. And then I read all the time. I was like, oh, I got to check those out. I never heard of them. Even I, even I have an English degree, oh, I'm cool. a professional writer or whatever. I just didn't even know. Because no one's, I didn't have any friends who I share books with. No one's telling yeah, me yeah, this, yeah. you know? So like, and this isn't, and I'm never, I was always reading on movie forums. I was never reading on book forums. You know? True. And anyways, Brick, I don't know what else to say about it. I, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And this was on the, before that he had made a movie. Have you seen it? with him and a uh, Zoe Deschanel and um, the fabulous black actor from traffic. Why am I drawing a blank? I remember the Jason Gordon-Levin and Cheadle. Zoe. 
Oh, and Cheadle. Yeah, I remember the the Gordon Levitt Zoe Deschanel movies. Oh, I don't remember that movie. I don't remember that. No movie. No one does. Yeah, nobody does. Yeah, and it's it takes place in a psych ward. Um, later, fifteen years later, t- no, twelve years later, they did. Um, Brie Larson did that movie. Yeah, twelve with the guy who yeah. did Mr. Room. Robot, whatever. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. No, yeah. no, 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 no. 12, uh, 12 something. Yeah, and it's something short term 12. Short term 12. Thank you. Yeah. And it took place in a psych ward. Well, this is that if it was made by Abel Ferreira. That's great. It's insane. That sounds wonderful. <laughs> it's crazy and it's dark and it ends as dark as you can mm-hmm. wish it would. And on the heels of that, he did brick for no money after he made a billion dollars doing Third Rock from the Sun. Yeah, Sword Rock from the Sun was in syndication, and he did brick just to do brick. And I, yeah, he could have, he could have just took his money and been like, "Okay, I got it. two guys mm-hmm. who I really, who I, two guys who were young, who were famous, young, who did a lot of character work later, and then I don't care what they did after that, that I really respect, uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt for the oh, choices he made, and Elijah especially Wood. with brick and short and and Elijah Wood, yeah, 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 me too. Elijah Wood owns uh, SpectroVision, which we're going to be talking yeah. quite a bit about next week. I'll announce that in a couple seconds. But it's like I love both those guys too, and um, I, I'm a huge. Ryan... Just took their money and been like, okay, well, I don't like. Oh, totally. Yeah, I was in the biggest movie franchise of all time, yeah. and I'm in a um, a television show that's going to be in syndication. I'm going to receive a fucking twenty thousand yeah. dollar check every single week for the rest of my life. But they didn't do yeah. that. They both started their own production companies that are kind of interesting too. Gordon Levitt has the hit play record or whatever it's called. Yeah, and Elijah oh, with a right. Spectre yeah, Vision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they're they're both very interesting guys. And yeah, and and, and Spectre Vision at in the mid 2010s, they were taking open calls and they were like, just you we're taking people's scripts. Yeah. Which, you know, production companies do not do that because they no. famously are like, oh, we don't want to read it because we don't want to be people who like, unless it comes through, unless you have a like certified an agent, agent who gets it to us. Yeah. 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 We're not, we have no interest. And Spectre Vision was like, oh, no, no, no. Just send it. We're, and if it's good, we're going to, we're interested. Yeah, same thing with the music with Spectre Vision, too. Like they, have a record label associated with it and they allow their composers to keep like a hundred percent of the rights to the fucking mm. scores, which is like really neat. And I mean, that's how like girl who walks alone at night got made with exactly what you're talking yeah, yeah. about. Where like an Iranian yeah, Iranian woman. Yeah. yeah. Like sent a script to them and yeah, it's so cool. But with, to go back to brick, I, I am a big fan of Ryan Johnson. I know for some reason, real stupidly, he's controversial because he made a good Star Wars movie. It doesn't make sense to me. Um, oh, I hate it. I hate it. I love I, Ryan Johnson. I hate, I hate that movie. I, I like that movie mm-hmm. a lot. And I think Ryan Johnson's really clever. Sometimes I should maybe be clear here. I don't hate it because I'm a Star Wars purist or whatever. I'm just like, mm-hmm. or people took a very... Um, anti-woke stance that i don't know where the fuck all that i don't know where any of that came from yeah i don't know where any of that came from i'm not i just personally like i didn't like i don't enjoy the movie i don't like solo i don't like that movie i don't like yeah i like that movie because it was i thought it was interesting that he tried to get star wars away from the stuff that i thought was annoying which was like 
everyone is a Skywalker. Like you have this new yeah, girl yeah. and it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. who's her grandpa going to be? Like, how is she related to Han Solo or Luke? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the big reveal is like, you are no one and your parents died um, drunk on some desert planet and sold you for booze money. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Like anyone can be a Jedi. Like that's a cool idea. I liked all of those things. I also okay, like. Okay, I'm going to move you off this. Get yeah, yeah. You know, I, and I like yeah. Ryan Johnson. And yeah. Brick is definitely a gimmick movie. And if the gimmick works for you, it will well, work so well. You also have to mention, though, he it was a literal zero fucking dollar movie. Yeah, but it's a gimmick movie. It's 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 Hammett have, and Chandler in high in school. High school. In yeah. high school, so you yeah. have to suspend your disbelief to believe that high schoolers will be talking like Humphrey Bogart from the 1930s. You know, like you have to get there. Yeah. But if you invest in this film, it's so worth it because. The writing is there, the story is there, and the mystery is there. And for a zero by the way, budget they, they film, dropped Dangle like twice in that movie. Hell yeah, the, they the phrase Dangle. dangle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> drop Dangle is is gonna be I, I like I'm gonna say I'm gonna drop Dangle. Yeah, um, that's what like that's what I call a dick pic now. You want me to drop yeah. dangles, which you want me to drop a dangle? Yeah. Um no surprise with my final recommendation. As I was saying before, I love mm-hmm. when you can reappropriate a classic story, such as a lone um, gunslinger or or whatever, going into a town and playing one mob against the other mob to eventually annihilate both of them. Um, originated by the great Akira Kurosawa with uh, Yohimbo. Um, See, this is the bet. Every the single movie, movie I chose yeah, is the exact same movie. Same movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're all the exact same movie. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's a fun thing to kind of track where, you know, um, you know, Yohimbo, this this Japanese samurai period drama about a a Ronin samurai who without a master or a purpose goes into a town, finds a bunch of bandits during feudal Japan trying to raid these farmers finds out that another group of bandits are trying to raid these farmers. He pits both of the bandits against each other. They all walk free and he ends up being in charge of the town. Same thing happens in Fistful of Dollars, except it's reappropriated to the American West. Same thing happens in Miller's Crossing, except it's reappropriated to the um, Prohibition era fucking, you know, America. America. And then same thing happens in... um, Last Man Standing reappropriated to the same time period as Miller's Crossing, except it's done in a way that like somehow I think Walter Hill just saw some John Woo movies and was like, I want to do that. So, um, well, and they, well, and if you look at the people who did all the action, all these, um, all these Hong Kong dudes and, and also Last Man Standing, it's a Chicago movie that takes place in Texas. Oh, that is cool. No, just, but I mean, like, but like, he's fusing at all these various things together because it's all it's a Chicago mob, mobs. Mm-hmm. But they live in a border yeah. town, border town in Texas. Yeah, it's so cool. It's so cool. It's full circle. I love yeah. all of that stuff. I love the Coen Brothers. I love. You know what's funny? Coen I almost Brothers. did the same thing. I almost did Brick, Last Man Standing, and Fresh which is fresh, which I've talked about, is just uh, Miller's Crossing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's just your himbo. It, it it is, but in a uh, in uh, it's a ghetto movie. What what are they called? What are they? I don't even know what the phrase it's is. A hood now. movie, a black hood yeah. movie in the nineties. Next week, Brandon starts spooky season, where we're going to be covering our favorite spooky sleaze uh emphasis on the the sleeve we will be talking about mandy the fantastic movie with one of the greatest performances of all time and i genuinely think that i don't think it's over the top for the sake of being over the top i think nicholas gage is fucking incredible i cannot wait to talk about mandy and then let everybody know what we have in store for the rest of october before resuming our regularly scheduled programming here on dgen cinema the podcast for fucked up movie lovers if you want to reach out to us you can email us at dgen cinema that's d-e-g-e-n cinema at gmail.com please remember to follow and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you are listening to this on as well as leaving a five-star rating and maybe a review on itunes if you can tell a friend we really really truly appreciate it and brandon i think there's only one way to really leave this thing off man well i was gonna say this is the podcast much like Miller cat Miller's crossing. This is a podcast of brotherly love. Go dangle. <laughs> <laughs>